Hey, looking for something to read? Tired of all those published authors with their fancy publishing deals and books you have to pay for? Check out Bob Moore, No Hero by Tom Andre. It's free. It's short. And there are two full-length sequels you can pay for if you're into that sort of thing. Bob Moore. Find out more about the PI that investigates superheroes at www.tomandry.com slash books. Welcome to another edition of AV Rant. My name is Rob H. and this week I'm here with... Lee Overstreet, pinch hitting once again. Uh, Tom is away dealing with his children running wild in his house, I guess. It's a holiday. It's Thanksgiving week (laughs) in uh, the United States, so kids are home from school, and that is where Tom Andrew, the regular host of this podcast, is... Bouncing off the walls. (laughs) So, Lee, thank you for being here to guest co-host with me. Yes, uh, congratulations to me for being child-free. It doesn't matter on holidays. Ah. I just have my wife home from her job, and it's fantastic. (laughs) I'm also kid-free, so that's how we're here. That's how we roll. (laughs) This is AV Rant. It's your home theater and AV questions answered. And, uh, yeah, we we get questions, lots of them this week. And uh, we, we might make history this week. This might be oh. the first time that Lee Overstreet has been our guest co-host, and we do not get to a question from Infinite Gary. There, what, there is what? one. There's one I'm on the out list, here. Lee, nope, but nope, it's, the, it's the very last one. It's down okay. at the very bottom. We might not get there. So, so you're challenging me to read questions quickly. That's right. And not make this take forever. That's okay. That's, uh, there's 20 questions on the list. We, uh, we, I don't think we've ever gotten to all 20. So, yes. 20? God, I don't know if we can do it. I don't know. Although I didn't get a ton come in uh, this Monday, so maybe we should save some for next week. And if you would like your question answered on this podcast, all you have to do is ask, and the best way is by sending it to our email address, which is question at avrant.com. In case you couldn't guess, avrant.com is our website, and you can come over there and leave comments there, although I haven't checked the comments in a while, so who knows? Oh. Maybe questions were left there and I didn't even check, but question at avrant.com is our email address. That's the best way to get in touch with us. You can also reach us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash avrant podcast and on youtube youtube.com slash avrant where you can see our lovely faces side by side that's what goes on over there (laughs) yeah you can also reach us individually if you'd like to i am rob at avrant.com for my email address i'm also first reflect on twitter and tom is tom at avrant.com and he is at avrant underscore tom on twitter and uh our good friend lee overstreet here can be reached on twitter as well right Yes, you can find me at at Lee Overtweet. Uh, I, I think it's going to take me a few more years to earn my email address at avrant.com, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get the 10-year badge Believe before me, you I, get the... <laughs> the... I do a lot on those podcasts as far as putting together the questions and all that, but as far as the technical side of things, I know next to nothing. That is all left up to Tom. That's how we divide our That's duties. Right. And Well, uh, people are yeah. finding me on Twitter. In fact, I forgot I got a little question that uh, may have to go in next week from someone. Okay. That I could not answer about backing up uh, 4K movies off Ultra HD Blu-rays. 
And I don't know if that's possible. Oh, okay. I think I was I'm sure it on is. that somebody too. Must, so that yeah. was that, somebody was asking that. Yeah, I'm yeah. sure multiple people are, but it might have been the same person reaching out to both of us at the same time. Probably. Well, we want to start our podcast by thanking our listeners of the week, who are people who support this podcast in some way. Now, if you come to our website, avrant.com, over on the right hand side, it says support avrant on the desktop version. I want to throw that in there every once in a while. If you're looking at the mobile version, you won't find it. So uh, scroll right. down to the bottom on mobile and click desktop version. Right-hand side says support AV Rant. There's a picture of a cup of coffee, and that will take you to PayPal, where you can send us a one-time donation, if you please. Uh, I don't know if anybody did this week, because that's one of the things Tom takes care of. That's right. uh, So next week, if anybody donated, we will mention your name. Uh, But you can also support us on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash podcast, where you sign up for an automatic monthly donation. You choose the amount, and that will automatically be given to us every month out of your account. We're up to 93 pay patrons now the number that's went impressive. up from last week i'm happy that's good. that's impressive <laughs> uh we also accept uh amazon gift cards that's true wink wink you know <laughs> <laughs> that's why you want your leanna if you're at it's right. purely for the amazon gift uh, cards no back back on patreon i uh, want to thank john h he let <laughs> us know that uh, he's our newest patron he got us up to 93 so thank right you on. john that's very much someone's gonna be the magic 100 patron we're hoping to get there by someone's christmas sometime soon yeah our unofficial goal and thanks so much to our 92 other patrons there as well and then some people support our podcast in non-financial ways which we love we'll give you a shout out just let us know what you did mike s he bought some acoustic insulation from acoustamac.com mm-hmm. and he told them it was our recommendation so we love that mike thank you and phil d he told accessories for less and svs that we sent him their way so that's wonderful thank you phil that is kind of fantastic i like that uh, all these specialty places uh, uh they n- starting to know who or very much know who avery rant is like svs svs and for then, sure knows us they yeah. even put us in their little how did you hear about us section so that's pretty <laughs> cool <laughs> yeah we're a source that's right so before we delve into the rest of the content of this podcast uh we have an announcement uh Mm -hmm. we haven't done an interview in a long time and the good folks over at sound united uh if you don't know that as the brand it's because they're the parent company of like denon and marantz and polk and definitive technology and heos and a number of other brands so a rep of theirs actually reached out to us and said hey would you like to do an interview uh it'll be with a fellow named phil Jones. He's the director of global training at Sound United, and they sort of want to focus on uh, high-res audio and ultra HD audio with Amazon Music HD because they're partnered up with Amazon Music HD to uh, get you know sort of the highest quality audio that they're offering there. They also want to talk about Heos, uh, but they are willing to cover the whole plethora of sound united topics and wow. tom and i have questions for them too so um yeah, yeah we, we might not be able to get to every question we we get to every question that's sent to this podcast for our regular podcast but when it comes to an interview we do have some limited time it'll only be yeah, about yeah, an yeah. hour so uh we'll apologize in advance if uh, not every question has gotten to but we'll try to you know make sure we hit the big topics that we see wednesday december the 11th is when that interview is taking place we'll need your questions in no later than tuesday december 
December just 10th. So although, many possible topics there. I know, with but because all those so brands many and brands. products. Wow. That's right. <laughs> but we've got questions in mind already. They've got stuff that they want to talk about and promote from them. So it'll be a packed interview. Wednesday, December 11th again is when we'll be doing that. It won't be live as we record it, but uh, right. make sure you get your questions into us before then, and we'll try to get to as many as we can. So there you go. Sound United interview, Wednesday, December the 11th. Right. I guess it's time to move on to some news, right? It sure is, and we'll, we'll skip through. The, I was I was questioning whether even to put these in there, but let's hit the headlines. Let's let's just hit it all. We can do it. Like I said, I I can talk fast. You know, I'm like half chinchilla with a heart rate of 225. Nice. We can do this. Warner Music Group just added a bunch more Dolby Atmos music to Amazon Music HD. So that's interesting. That's right. It relates very much to what we were just talking about uh, before. It was what Universal Music Group, I think, was the ones who had all of the uh, mm-hmm. uh, Dolby Atmos music tracks. And now Warner has gotten on board. They've added a whole bunch more. So that's great. So are there any artists I would know that are mixing things? You know what? Into they didn't Dolby mention Atmos? exactly how many uh, mm-hmm. albums or artists or anything like that. In the, I just looked at the press release. But it I'm always like, starts with growing. some unusual jazz stuff that you've <laughs> never heard of. <laughs> it's, it's like when they had the uh, the DVD audio. It was it was yep. always relatively obscure formats, and it sounded really cool. But uh, you know, more power to them. I hope that can take off. Mm-hmm. Netflix is now mandating that all of their original content has to be shot and finished in HDR, which caught some of their cinematographers and directors off guard. I bet it did, but I'm kind of glad they're doing that. Uh, I mean, I have no problem with it. Although, I mean, to be fair, when they're preparing, uh, you know, pre-production and that, and sometimes even before pre-production, things do need to be lit differently. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're going to be able to see detail in things that would otherwise have been clipped out to white or clipped down to black, uh, mm-hmm. that might impact what you have to do with your sets, how your set dressing is done, mm-hmm. how things mm-hmm. are lit. So, I mean, to just drop that on people who were like about to start shooting and be like, by the way, better be oh, an HD. I, I'm HDR, sure that rather. people who are <laughs> Have approaching production and weren't planning on doing it I, I seriously doubt they're gonna tell them no so the other thing just, you can do is just take an sdr content and put it into an hdr wrapper essentially right an hdr container with that that's doesn't what, actually have any greater dynamic range you know side note that's what they did with mandalorian on disney plus it, yeah actually was it's gonna not mention HDR. that along with this yeah, yeah. hdtv test uh vincent Tio, he put up a good exactly. youtube video about that they do great analysis over there of yeah. what the actual dynamic range is yeah they pointed out uh, mandalorian never goes above 200 nits uh the remastered versions of the original star wars uh, movies never go above 400 nits the thing is i don't agree with vincent's take that that is not hdr I mean, is it spectacular HDR? No. Right. But right. it is still HDR because standard dynamic range ends at 100 nits. So True. even 200 nits is high boring dynamic HDR. Range. I mean, I noticed, right. you know, watching on the OLED, I'm like, this is really dark. So the last episode I watched of that, I turned the lights off in the room. Yep. And it was pretty good. That's but what it they does, want you to it do. It is super disappointing. <laughs> Why wouldn't they take advantage because what does my TV do? 500 and something nits, probably? Well, at least, yeah. Usually the OLEDs yeah, get up to about months. 700 max. Okay, great. Yeah, and why, so, specs. I mean, you know, why would they not shoot it? I don't get it. I don't understand. So I'm, <laughs> well, I, they might I, have I kind also, of agree with I them. mean, the camera itself can capture it. It's how it's finished, how it's, how it's mastered, yeah. ultimately, that really decides it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you know what? It just It's an indication of this is the way the future is going, that, mm-hmm. that this is what it's going to be from now on. Uh, I... So again, Vincentio was saying how, uh, you know, because it's in a Dolby Vision container, it really doesn't give consumers the opportunity to adjust the gamma on their display right, if they're watching right. an ambient light. I'm like, I'm not against that. 
I'm I'm kind of okay with that. You can change your picture mode to a brighter Dolby Vision picture mode if you really want to. So uh, I, I'm okay with it. You know, sort of locking people into that this is the standard, and right. you're, you're kind well, of going to apps watch it. <laughs> ought to let you turn off HDR at this at this stage of the game. It should, I guess. Uh, I mean, it just should be. A, it doesn't have to be a prominent option, but it mm-hmm. I, it would be kind of nice for some because if you have. Like, again, this new TV I got in my office, it's sort of HDR, mm-hmm. but it's not great. It's compatible with HDR, one yeah, might say. Yeah, it's not really meant to be an <laughs> HDR theater machine. It's not why I got it. Anyway. So anyway, anyway, moving along, Google Stadia launched. Mm-hmm. That's their streaming gaming. That's right. Uh, early adopters mostly seem to feel like it's a beta mm, to play surprise. on a TV. You really need the, quote, Founders Edition, since existing Chromecast Ultra devices need an update that Google hasn't released yet. Right. And if you play on a computer or a Pixel phone, uh, you have to hardwire the controller. Uh, so that's what I'm gonna, uh, Games are being upscaled, not natively uh, rendered at 4K, because can you imagine the processing power on their server farms there? <laughs> and the Wi-Fi controller has issues. You can use a DualShock or an Xbox Bluetooth controller instead, but then you get more latency. And latency to me, how in the world? That seems to be the most important thing. Absolutely. I mean, they, they need every little bit that they can cut down. So that's yeah. why the best experience isn't going to be had with a Bluetooth controller, unfortunately. So. And I'd be at the mercy of Comcast. Mm-hmm. And the crappy connection I have to well, the rest of the universe. Pointing out how if you are... so. It's on their end that it's being rendered at 1080p or 1440p, and then it's being upscaled on their end sometimes, mm-hmm. which means mm-hmm. you're getting 4K being sent to you. That people were seeing bit um, like uh, bandwidth rates of about like seven gigabytes an hour. Just don't even know why so even you could, do that. You could burn through your data cap really quickly <laughs> if you yes, have a you data could. cap. <laughs> so I just I, I think they should send it out in 1080p, but I kind of get it's the whole marketing thing. I know. And so, it's so frustrating. So, again, it's where dumb people mess us all up. <laughs> I, I just want to say this. I, 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 I can't imagine recommending that so i mean here's the thing about google stadia people hear oh it's a streaming video game service does that Mm -hmm. mean i pay my ten dollars a month which is what it costs um Mm -hmm. and i get an access to a library like what netflix has right is it the netflix of what you would think yeah but it absolutely isn't the ten dollars a month just gets you access uh you get one free game a month but all the other games you have to pay full retail price Okay, so it's a no in every direction. That's a no in every direction. I mean, like, it's Google, man. I don't believe for a second that they're going to continue with, like, the the moment somebody, like, forgets about it over there, they're like, oh, yeah, we had a thing called Google Stadia. Eh, let's just turn that off. And then everything you bought, I mean, it's Google, (laughs) so they'll probably refund everybody at that point. But, like, I just, I can't in good conscience say that this is the way to go right now. No, this would only work for... Simpler games with simpler graphics, no, nothing higher than 1080p. Just the but fact it seems that, to function pretty well by all accounts. I know, I, haven't tried I know, but it. I'm I keep thinking just so many problems at <laughs> at, at the home end. You know, at well, my end, the, things I can't control. Here's all the thing we promised, and then uh, a whole bunch of it is just not here yet. So yeah. uh, it kind of it's feels a, like it's a, a cool idea, but it's just that 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 latency yeah, time. We'll get there one day. All right, so I'm just going to throw in a quick yes. micro review of a television. So oh, I right. bought a new TV. 
uh, in the office I'm sitting in right now, and you can see the reflection of my lights <laughs> hitting my glasses today because my eyes were irritated. Oh, how come but, you uh, froze over here? Hmm, uh, did I freeze? Has, your video has frozen on my end. Let me see if I can of transition us and some back. It might come back. We can try. Right. Well, everything looks good on <laughs> my end, case, so I know. I'm you're, going you're to keep talking. You're moving in my Skype window, so I'm not sure why I've lost you inside of my oh, OBS man, window. Technology. But, technology. I know, I so know. anyway, real quick, uh, I, I had a 49-inch Sony in this office from 2009. It, it did 1080p, and it was a great television. It was like the last generation that had an S-video, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very sad that it got hit by lightning a few years back. Ah. And ever since then, I, you know the trick that people used to do when they had the old console televisions in the 1970s? If it broke, you'd put a smaller TV on top. Uh-huh. So I just went and got a 32-inch TV from another room and put it like in front of the 49. So I've been really kind of redneck janking it up in here for a while. <laughs> and it's like, it's time to make this work better. And so... Uh, uh, they had a sale going on at Best Buy on this television. It was a 55-inch Sony X800G. Okay. Yeah, that's the current model year then with the G at the end. That's right. And it uh, it, 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 it was only $500 hmm. for a 55-inch Sony. Now, it's their entry level. This is not, you know, if you're used to OLED pictures or something, you're going to be completely disappointed. <laughs> but uh, uh, for the for the dollars I paid, I'm going to say it's a pretty damn good deal. Hmm. And also for my purpose. Now, you know, I'm a real nitpickler when it comes to viewing angles, and this TV does not have good viewing angles. End of story. So if you're in a situation like me where the viewing angle isn't important and you don't need it to be your sort of reference OLED kind of HDR television, I'm going to say it's a decent little TV. Uh, It has a weird combination of features. It's got a... uh, LED backlight that's fixed. There's no dimming zones or anything like that. Again, this is entry level TV, and the uh, the color is pretty good. And it, it has the strange thing is it has less options than other Sony TVs because it's the entry level. Okay. But it has weirdly very complex options if you want to calibrate it yourself. Right. Yeah. Like so Sony's this, weird, this was like, the one that has. So it's a full array backlight, but it's not local dimming. That's right. Yeah, correct. It's not not uh-huh. edge lit though. Right. No, it's not edge lit. Okay. And you can set the uh, RGB gain oh, and yes, yeah. bias for 10 different points. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, and, the, that's but, your grayscale calibration. Yeah, but they give consumers that option, and I have no way to measure that. How do I know if I'm getting that right? You'd need uh, Calman Home. <laughs> you'd need a colorimeter. And to really do it right, you'd also need a spectrophotometer. So. Right, so yeah. I just can't. I, I suppose I, I could go to R- about a thousand dollars worth of equipment there. Okay, let's say what can I do with zero dollars? It's not oh, much. Well, then I, no, no, hire a no. calibrator, and that will also cost you several hundred dollars. Exactly, and that ruins the whole point of buying a five hundred dollar <laughs> television, doesn't it? So anyway, I keep gesturing to it because it looms in the room now. Right. I didn't mean to get one this big, but it was only fifty dollars more to go from forty nine to fifty five. Fifty dollars. I'm like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? So if you're looking for uh, a secondary larger mm. television, uh, not your main TV where you're going to really get critical about 4K or HDR, it has an HDR mode, but all it does is just turn the brightness up. And here's the interesting thing. Sony, and I don't know if anybody else is doing this, Sony has changed the meaning of the term brightness. Well, in case Lee is still talking, I'm not sure. I've lost him I, on Skype here for the time oh, no. being. So uh, I am still talking. Yeah, I'm not sure what's <laughs> going on there. He's Everything probably still talking good. away on uh, his audio recording. But oh, there. Did you come there back? I am. Did I come You're back? You're back. Am I there? All right. 
Is How my come video we're losing back? connection? We, you and I never lose connection. Something weird is going on today. I don't know, man. Everything looks solid on this end. Nothing's acting okay. strange, oh, so you can well, hear and see oh, me. Oh, wow. You're, you're very strangely shaped on my I'm end here. We're having shaped. fun video production problems today, folks. Okay. But, How's uh, my audio? Okay. How's my audio? Can your, you Your audio is the main thing, and that's all right. All right. So here Let we go. I'll get you back in a second. about this TV. Okay. You One more thought. Sony is weird. I think they've changed the definition of brightness. Uh, back in the day, and I think for other models of television, brightness means your black level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Well, now Sony calls the black level black level, yes. and brightness is your backlight. That's right. So on older Sony TVs, they had the term backlight, and I guess yeah. they decided that uh, consumers didn't know what that meant. Yeah, and that I mean, they're brightness, actually yeah. right. <laughs> the brightness, what they call brightness, is now affecting more the overall brightness of the TV. Yeah, but yeah, it's yeah, yeah. one of those things where the industry standard is uh, leading oh. things astray. Exactly. So, yeah. so there we go. If if you're still needing me to talk, I can uh, I can continue on. <laughs> no, it's so, okay. Can- we'll, we'll mention the last quick bit of news, which is that SVS has uh, magically brought back the uh, PB12 NSD and SB12 NSD subs. Uh, yet again, I didn't expect them to see them ever again, but uh, $400 and $500 for the predecessors of the 2000 series. So hop on those very limited stock. I don't know by the time you hear this if they'll still be around, but uh, they, they were there. So just right. to check, I'm going to text my wife and see if she's streaming anything. And tell her to stop ah, just in case. I don't think right. she is, but I'm going to do that. So if you'll read that first comment coming up, Absolutely. it's comment time, and I'll do this, and then we'll get back on track. All right. Sounds good. So while we sort out technical issues, uh, Bernard T. wrote to us on Facebook, and uh, he was just finishing up his custom-built uh, fireplace with a niche for his TV. He's got shelves on other side. So we kind of shared a laugh over how he mentioned to us that he had just started to listening, uh, listening to AV Rant again when we were saying how much we hate TV niches because it restricts what size of tv will go in there but (laughs) But he says that's a heck of a niche he has though that's right it'll fit an 85 inch tv or smaller so uh he says he believes he'll be all right but that's great we got a few photos that he sent in here uh of the progress that he made as he installed uh his uh fireplace and then the uh the tv niche and then his shelves and that so the finished results look like they came out of a magazine to be honest it's beautiful it's absolutely fantastic and, and he did uh, the right thing. He's got a place for like components or center channel speaker. He's got right. a beautiful fireplace and that it's a it's a bit high for me on the screen, but man, it's gorgeous. <laughs> oh, it's Good wonderful. So excellent work. Happy to see that. And uh, very yeah. happy to say, yeah, his All installation right. looks magnificent. Uh, okay, so now we're going to do last week's questions. That's right. Which we always start 30 minutes into the show. <laughs> <laughs> So I hope everything's looking and sounding good. We're going to go straight on into Damien D. from last week. He has uh, a few different questions. Damien got some leftover, quote unquote, leftover Owens Corning 703 insulation from a friend at his church who just built himself a recording studio. So Damien has 11 pieces of two foot by four foot, two inch thick 703, plus some acoustically transparent fabric, all for free from that friend. Uh, He'll need some more fabric. And he wants to know what he should do about frames. Should he get ready-made DIY frame kits and some fabric from Acoustamac is his first question. Doesn't that just depend on your own uh, uh, DIY desires and abilities? Because it ain't that hard to build two-inch rectangles 
Nope, but if you want all of your little, uh, you know, pilot holes pre-drilled for you so that you literally just need a, a hand screwdriver to screw it yeah. in there, you don't need sure. any anything to, you know, uh, cut or pre-drill or anything like that. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the DIY frame kits that they offer there, the one thing is, I'm not sure, there was a time a while back where they only offered it with solid backs. They had like a, you know, a thin mm, little, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I think it was like one eighth inch thick piece of a solid back. And the, uh, right. I didn't see ones that didn't have the solid back. I wouldn't want one with a solid back, to be honest. Uh, really? that actually, Why is that? Uh, because it reduces your air gap uh, and you're getting the bounce off of that solid back all the time. True. And then that solid back might vibrate a little bit as well. There's that too. And it was a you know, pretty thin and flimsy one. So if they yeah, offer yeah. one that doesn't have the solid back, I mean, if the only way to get it is with the solid back, I guess you're kind of paying, especially on the shipping side for something you don't really need. And I probably wouldn't mm, even make mm-hmm. use of anyway. Uh, Gick does have uh, ready-made frames as well, but they are a bit more expensive. So yeah, it's it's a little bit of a you'll have to decide what's worth it to you. But sure. uh, I'm not I'm not, I'm not the craftiest the person kits. in the yeah. world. I don't know about you, but I think I got I'd go for it. Oh, I, man, I think I would not having a good connection here. Are we doing uh, it again? I'll continue yeah, reading his questions. Not working though. out here, Lee. <laughs> man, I'm sorry. I don't know what's <laughs> Are happening. Are you hardwired into your computer? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, this computer actually has a network cable going to my router. The router's hardwired man, oh, man. to the to the cable modem. So I don't know what's what could on? be happening. And it's a. It's also a beautiful day. It's like 21 <laughs> degrees Celsius. The sun is out. It's gorgeous. Nothing's happening. There's no high winds. So well, I I'll just continue reading folks. Damien's question. Yeah, yeah, let's go on to B because we'll I think we've answered the frame one. There we go. All right. He's got his huge, wide-open, echoing living room upstairs where we said to just put absorption anywhere and everywhere that he can. I actually, from the uh, pictures, remember this uh uh, we've talked about this one of the shows that I was on. Uh, but then he also has his theater in the basement, which now has carpet and his drop tile ceiling. Where should he prioritize using these DIY panels? Well, I let me just say what I think is mm-hmm. I'd rather have like instead of having two OK theaters, I'd rather have one excellent theater and one decent theater. You know what I mean? So I'm in agreement there. Yep. I I think I'd go ahead and make that basement as good as it can be because the living room has those ceilings that extend into the troposphere. Yes. (laughs) You know, like they're they're so low flying satellites are hitting his roof. (laughs) You're never, ever going to make that an A plus theater. I mean, it would would take way too much treatment, in my opinion. You've just got that big old echo. So, well, I mean, I see where he's coming from in that he probably like needs treatment most in the living room because it's most likely an echo chamber there. But at the same time, Mm -hmm. you're only talking about two inch thick insulation, which I mean, it'll help for the worst of the reverberation and the vocal echoes and things like that. But you can probably optimize your basement theater uh, using what you have more so than... I yeah. don't know. I mean, I guess you you would help the upstairs, but you would optimize the theater downstairs. So, I mean, I can't mm-hmm. tell you there's no wrong or right answer to that. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, if what bothers you the most, because I mean, in his basement, he does have a drop tile ceiling with acoustic tiles in there. Exactly. Carpet, so he's, yeah. he's getting some there. He's got uh, carpet in there, although I think he was going to remove that carpet. But um, mm. at, the, at the moment in the photos, it looks as though he still has carpet right. in there. So it's not as though the basement is probably echoing in any way whereas the room upstairs is echoing so it's almost a matter of if what's upstairs is bothering you really badly and you are 
able to use those panels upstairs, Mm -hmm. then I could see doing that because that might like, you might watch a lot of TV upstairs. I don't know how he uses his house. And if exactly like, honestly, a problem right now, then yes, absorption anywhere that you can put it, whatever you can do DIY to make it aesthetically pleasing. But you could also use it to optimize the theater down there. What I wouldn't do where Lee and I completely agree, what I wouldn't do is split it. I wouldn't put some in the theater and some upstairs right, right, because right. you don't have enough to do both. I would pick one or the right. other. That would be just my, my, my instinct says, let's focus on one room as being yep. the critical watching room. Yeah. And the other room is the secondary room. I mean, yep. that's exactly what I'm doing with this office TV I've been talking about. Right. So that, you know, we got the good old Ed. So yeah, it's just my opinion. He, he goes on to ask his mother managed to get him a motorized 100 inch projection screen from someone she knows. That's an interesting thing for your mom to find you. <laughs> That's awesome. My mom has never found me a hundred inch projection screen. That's awesome. It doesn't fully retract. So they were giving it away, but Damien is fine with leaving it rolled down all the time. Sure. Cause you got that theater. That's right. He, he eventually plans to get a larger silver ticket screen and an Epson 5050 UB. But for the time being, with no money to spend, his wife went ahead and got them a quote-unquote white van projector, an Insight IS770 that forums warn is a scam, <laughs> but it was super cheap and actually functions, so he's fine using it for now. Hey, sure. man, I get it. I'd rather have a theater than no theater. Yeah, I, suppose. I hear you on that. That's right. fine. <laughs> uh, there's no specs on throw distance or lens adjustment, though. So how can he figure out where to mount it? Would it be okay to just put a two by two foot piece of MDF in place of one of his drop ceiling tiles and mount the projector to that? Probably so. And, you know, the way you figure out where to put it, uh, you just gonna you're gonna zoom it where it's as big as possible, and then walk back and forth till it fills the screen, and that's where you're mounting it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, since you I mean, have the screen and you yeah. have the projector in hand, and you aren't trying to arrange all this before, because I mean, sometimes people yeah. are ordering stuff. Uh, that's right. But that's not your case here. You actually have both the projector and the screen in hand. So yeah, this is literally trial and error is the easiest way to yeah. do it. Physically, and if I think it's not too heavy, I like the idea of a little <laughs> MDF up there. That actually sounds fine to me. Paint it to match. Yeah, uh, I here's the thing. So I mean, drop tile ceil- yeah, drop tile ceilings are not super load bearing. Uh you would want to reinforce that for sure. Um now I mean mm-hmm. this projector it's probably fine cuz this yeah, one that you have is super light, but the 5050UB I would not trust oh, no, no, no. to mount. Not the 50, but of course the no. 5050UB definitely is not going to be mounted at the same spot as this little no. insight what the heck ever, right? That's so, right. But I I, I would yeah. I'm cap I'm cap- Captain Janky, uh, you know, I, I, <laughs> I will throw something together. Uh, sure. I, I kind of like the idea. If it's not too heavy, uh, I don't know about MDF. I'd go even thinner, go to Home Depot, get whatever. I mean, all I would do, uh, having the two foot by two foot piece of MDF, you know, taking up the place of a ceiling tile, that's fine. I would just want to make sure that you're securing that piece of MDF to the actual wood floor sure, joist okay. above yeah, your drop yeah, ceiling. Yeah. That's all. And in right. both cases, that's fine. It's just mm-hmm, don't mm-hmm. leave the weight actually on just the thin metal T-bar uh, okay. tracks. Yeah, 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 that, yeah, that's yeah. the only thing I'm saying there. Yeah. Sure. Okay, so yeah, you're just going to take the projector, project a image, walk yeah. back and forth till it fills the screen, and look up. That's where That's you're mounting right. it. So uh, <laughs> his wife actually wants to paint the front wall with the projection screen black. Uh, they use some black paint in their office with an eggshell finish. Will that be okay, or should he wait and just completely matte black paint instead, and, uh, and just completely? 
Oh, I, I you know, must have use, use completely matte black do, paint instead. Um, right. Do so, you have leftover eggshell black? And is that zero dollars? Yeah. Okay. So right now, if you have it, just use that. You're already, you know, you've got your little white van projector. Don't That's overthink right. it. Do you have the paint now? Then paint it. I mean, I think right? he's worried more about the finish. Is eggshell yes. too reflective? I think eggshell is fine. Uh, it could I, be fine, I actually yeah. wouldn't go what they either call completely flat or completely matte. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, living with that is a pain and a half. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. actually, since you have this projection screen that you might end up moving at some point i wouldn't mm-hmm. want to go painting that whole wall with a true flat or matte finish because if you brush against it with your shirt sleeve you have to repaint that section so <laughs> yeah um, that's right it shows everything yeah the eggshell finish is typically in most paint lineups one step above that and actually i think he got to me on twitter and was like his wife actually went ahead and got some other like velvet finish uh black paint oh, which you velvet. know what that's great so the one step <laughs> above matte or the one step above flat is usually where i would recommend going because that way at least if you accidentally brush against it or blow on it it won't ruin the paint finish um yeah nothing not. worse than like a bug lands on it and dies exactly. you have to leave the bug there That's right. forever you cannot do anything about it if you try to get that bug off you've ruined the paint but it's not so glossy that it should be a problem for projector especially when it is black yeah. and it just has eggshell's fine tiny bit of sheen to it yeah that's yeah fine. that would actually be fine given the current situation yeah. uh he's got dual subs in his basement theater but they're not equidistant from his main seat should he still hook them both up to just one of his denon x 4400 h's subwoofer outputs using a y splitter or should he allow sub eqht to set them with different distances first of all i have a question it's uh-huh. not about equidistant to your seat necessarily right it's not necessarily about- because sometimes even when they are physically equidistant it doesn't measure their sound uh as right. having the same distance because they're using the distance setting to adjust it's not exactly the same as adjusting phase but mm-hmm. the end result is similar to adjusting phase because uh, isn't the similar. thought process more like uh, e- uh, uh symmetrical in the room it's not well, even that. It's that uh, the way the, the way Tom and I have been coming at how to set up dual subwoofers for the mm-hmm. past while now is that attempting to time align them, which is what sub EQHD does, it just doesn't work. Uh, when mm-hmm. you try to time align subwoofer one to your speakers and then subwoofer two to your speakers, which is what sub EQHD does, the mm-hmm. end result uh, when they're playing again in mono. Uh, isn't necessarily the nice uniform base that we're okay. trying to uh, trying to get to. So what we have been suggesting is using just one subwoofer output, so both subs are getting exactly the same signal. But right. that does mean that you have to manually adjust the phase to get uniform base, which is essentially just a trial and error uh, process. So I mean, I've detailed that in my 12-step guide to setting up dual subs that I posted on avrant.com. So okay. Okay. That's something I've linked to several times, but we'll link it again because we never mind doing that. And, yeah, we, um, do we have, I, I haven't even looked lately, is there a page on the website that is just a link to various guides and... and nope. And- we don't organize our website very like well. A, but. a reference page. You need like right. a reference page for these commonly, you know, <laughs> One sort of One day when needed. we get a new producer, somebody can go right. back into our archives and do that for us because Tom and I don't have time. But no, we'll have the link for the right, 12-step right. guide for dual subwoofer setup. And uh, yeah, it'll be a trial and error process, but that's the way we would come at it. All right. All right. Many years ago, when he ripped all of his CDs to MP3, he used really low bit rates. I know that feeling. Mm-hmm. So that he could store as many songs as possible on his portable player. He regretted that 
once he got some better audio gear, but then Apple had their iTunes match program and he replaced pretty much everything with their 256 kilobit per second version. Yeah. Uh, so now that various high res, and I'm glad that's in quotation marks, <laughs> audio services are available. Do we think Apple might ever offer an iTunes match 2.0? Maybe let everyone upgrade their 256s to Apple lossless. They offered 4K upgrades on 1080p movies, so why not audio? I bet not, because I, I, I think they know. would. I don't know, but I'm betting not, because honestly, high res audio is a sort of specialty game. Like, although this I, wouldn't actually be high res audio, this would just be CD quality audio in a lossless format. In a lossless format, yeah. But I'm just thinking, like, to make that jump from anything compressed to lossless or high res, they would want another dollar or something which is my <laughs> well, guess i mean the itunes you know. match cost something uh mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. first time it came around so i mean i i certainly haven't heard any news damien uh, this is not something i consider completely out of the realm of possibility though um because i mean these days we have more bandwidth we have more storage mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. it wouldn't i mean it's a lot of work on their end, but they're Apple. They've got the money to do it. I'm not worried they about sure them. Could, but uh, I don't know if it uh, <laughs> attracts enough, uh, you know, customers to be I mean, worth the whole thing the time. about lossless audio is something that's sort of out there now. You know, people are, are sort of getting used to that term. And now that we've got something like Amazon Music mm-hmm. HD that's touting, hey, we're, you know, putting out their lossless audio and Atmos audio and stuff like that. The idea that Apple might come along and allow you know, people who already have a huge iTunes library to do something to improve the quality of their, uh, you know, library. That's, it's certainly not out of the realm of possibility, but I haven't Mm. heard them, I heard about a plan to do that. I will say though, I mean, when I did my own blind listening to compare how, how readily could I tell apart, uh, you know, 96 kilobit, 128, 256, 320 kilobit MP3 or AAC files versus Mm. the original CD. I mean, 320, I could never never no not and 256 honestly i um maybe i'm better than chance on a few specialty recordings right but 256 is damn good sound exactly that's very good i i i I drew the conclusion that i have no problem having 256 kilobit versions of things because i wouldn't be able to say i could reliably tell the difference like i said like you i could occasionally hear something where i could never hear it in the 320 versus the original cd no. 128 kilobit i could hear differences 96 yes. definitely the no question oh, God, definitely there. 96 right yeah i have this was, yeah. i have a crazy mix of mp3s that right. got collected starting in 1997 yep and back in 97 the 128 kilobit per second i thought that was magic Yes. Like the first time I made an MP3, I'm like, where did this come from? Why didn't anyone tell me sooner? Uh, yeah, so I still have some of those very early ones, and some of them were bad, and some were, you know, mm-hmm. downloaded from different places. Do you remember when FTP sites would trade you if you uploaded you, if you uploaded one, you could download five? Are anybody else old enough and, and nerdy enough that they did that? FTP hmm. servers. You'd I mean, I certainly remember FTP servers, but I don't yeah. recall that exact thing. I wasn't yeah. super into collecting downloadable music, so oh man, it was like baseball cards at first for me when it first started <laughs> happening. Like long about ninety-seven into ninety-eight, you could get WSFTP and log on to FTP servers, mm-hmm. and if you uploaded one, you could download five and oh, stuff like okay. that. That was before Napster and and anything like yeah, that. Yeah, I so. pretty much got into it with Napster. That was that was when I. Right. into that a little bit. Yeah, you had to be hardcore to get ton. into it before Napster, <laughs> that's for sure. We were hardcore. Uh, okay, well, that's uh, that's 
Damien's questions. Let's move on to Michael R. from last week. Uh, Michael says he blew the dust off his Windows 10 home theater PC, and he has installed MB Media Server on it. Uh, he's got this computer wired to his router, but it's not physically connected to his home theater in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is also adding an Amazon Fire TV Cube to his setup, which says it supports a 4K, all the HDR formats, including Dolby Vision and HDR 10 Plus and Atmos Audio, although he's only concerned about getting 5.1 for his setup. Mm-hmm. So how does he best uh, set up transcoding so that he gets the very best video quality and 5.1 audio? Are you familiar enough with the Fire TV Cube settings? No, nor <laughs> yeah. MB. Uh, I really haven't dug yeah. into MB. I, I glanced at it back when it first changed from Media Browser into MB, but I really haven't dug into it since then. I've I've been mostly in the Plex ecosystem as far as you know a server mm-hmm. and uh, client type of setup for streaming video around my own local network. Um, now the thing is, you know, I I went through some of the MB documentation that's out there right now, and very similar to a Plex server, an MB server mm-hmm. will automatically transcode as necessary uh, for whatever client device you're using as the playback device. The Amazon Fire TV Cube is certainly among those, and so it will uh, transcode anything that the Amazon Fire TV Cube uh, cannot natively play. So you can set things up within the player side of things to do what they call direct stream. Uh, direct stream will just take the bits straight off the server. The server isn't processing anything at all. And as long as it's a format that the Amazon Fire TV Cube can play back itself, it will direct stream mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But if it's a format that the Fire TV Cube cannot directly stream, uh, the server will automatically transcode it into something that it can. So what this really ends up being is... Um, what are you initially backing up or downloading? Now, you shouldn't be pirating anything. Let's cover our legal behinds and say that. But You shouldn't. That's right. You shouldn't. But if you're backing up your own things or if you are downloading some content that's legal for you to have, um, it sort of matters what you're getting initially because you do want it to either be in an MKV or an MP4 container. That'll certainly work best within the uh, MB server side of things. It would be the same for Plex as well. But then it matters what is in that original format because if it doesn't have... um, you know, like, I think what he's concerned about is, like, let's say he's backing up his own Blu-rays. Right. And that, of course, is going to be true HD audio 7.1 or mostly DTS HD master audio 7.1. Mm-hmm. And I think he's concerned that, for example, the Amazon Fire TV Cube will not decode DTS HD master audio. And it won't decode Dolby True HD. So okay. I think he's saying, okay, do I need to transcode all that stuff manually ahead of time? Or is the MB server going to be able to decode that and send it to my Amazon Fire TV Cube? Here's where, if you're backing it up, what you want to make sure that you do during your Make MKV backup, for example, is they give you the checkboxes of what audio formats you uh, have in that MKV container. And mm-hmm. you'd want to take both. Uh, because you always have the option of taking uh, the lossless format that's on the disc, your true HD or DTS HD master audio, and the okay. quote-unquote core audio, because there will always also be a Dolby Digital 5.1 and a regular DTS 5.1 quote-unquote core 
Those will yeah. always be on your Blu-ray disc or your Ultra HD Blu-ray disc. And you want to make sure that your MKV has both of those because in my experience, um, trying to have the server decode the audio to transcode it, you sometimes it just knocks you down to stereo. Um, yeah, so I, yeah. I think that's exactly what he's worried about. But also, if, if you're using an older computer as your right. server, which I kind of do, what it sounds it, like in his case, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. It wouldn't be fast enough necessarily. It, I mean, the it, audio yeah. shouldn't be a problem, but um, I mean, the thing is that usually the server itself is not like a playback device. Uh, it's on the player. So again, if the direct stream uh, mm. doesn't work, like it would work if you're using an NVIDIA Shield, that'd be fine. It can take the direct stream of True HD or DTS HD Master Audio, but the Amazon Fire TV Cube can't. So I think that's exactly what he's worried about there. Um, just make sure you take both that it has the core audio within it as well. Don't untick the core audio version, and then it will be able to send that to your Amazon Fire TV Cube. It won't necessarily be lossless anymore, but how much are you really going to notice? Yeah, you know, this sort of transcoding and DLNA uh, app stuff got me frustrated a few years back. I love the idea of DLNA, Mm -hmm. love it, and I never could implement it perfectly. There were always some uh, MKV files and other files that the that just could not be played right. properly. They'd have no audio or, I, and, and I just got mad. Yeah. And I remember I tried Plex. This was been a few years ago mm-hmm. and I got mad at it because it took over my computer too much. Mm. It tried to do too much and it slowed <laughs> things down a little bit. And like, all I want is just a tiny little program that will just serve up these files to mm. some other thing, whether it's an app or a separate device or something. And I I'm mean, still these... to this day trying to figure out what I want to do about that. I, Cause there's yeah. a lot of stuff on my wife's computer acts as the server in this house. It has all of our music and mm-hmm. videos and, and pictures. And I'd love something that can just simply read from that and display it correctly, especially on that OLED in there. <laughs> Maybe there's an app that I can just put on the LG OLED that can do this. Um, but it drives me crazy. I kind of just gave up and started plugging my newer notebook right. into the TV. Well, that's just, just if you have a newer computer, it's it's pretty okay. Look at any of these media servers, whether it's J River or MB or Plex or Cody. Uh, I mean, there are other ones out there as well. So you know, they they all run pretty nicely if you have a a pretty pretty good, stable, fast running computer. Uh, but yeah, if you're using something a little bit older than sometimes getting it to transcode on the fly, I mean, as far as the video side of things go, it will transcode that just fine. But if you've got a computer that chugs, then transcoding it from 4K down to 1080p can sometimes end up in stutters and things like that. So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. when Amazon I was Fire- doing it years ago, I was using our PS3 over wireless G. Right. And so transcoding to some much smaller bitrate was important, but now not so much. Yeah. So I mean, if... If you're running into problems like that, Michael, I mean, you can certainly still go back and just use Handbrake and just create yourself a 1080p Dolby Digital 5.1 version. Mm -hmm. You know, will it be the absolute highest quality if you're, say, backing up an Ultra HD Blu-ray? Well, no, but it... The, it's more important that I think it plays smoothly than yeah, in yeah. like the absolute highest quality, right? So you're right. talking about throwing things around your network. So hopefully that gets him on the path there with that question. There you go. He, he's also asking, is there a good DLNA app for the Amazon Fire TV Cube? Because he you know wants to do his music collection yeah, through that. Yeah, I mean, I would throw your music collection into Ambi, Michael. That's what yeah. I would do. Uh, I would use there. the same media server program for all content, including music. If you end up switching over to Plex, it'll handle music wonderfully as well. So I wouldn't necessarily go with dlna anymore in that case mm. if you're if you've already mm. made the switch to mb for your videos i would do so for 
music as well. I, I don't know if there's a great DLNA app for Amazon Fire TV Cube. I, I don't know. <laughs> and I just, I, I love the idea of DLNA. It's really simple. It's, it, uh, you know, it's also very really... old at this point. <laughs> I know, but, it, you know, so am I. <laughs> and I still function. <laughs> you know? So, uh, anyway, <laughs> what, what about movie content he purchased or rented in iTunes? Any way to get that to play in full quality on the Amazon Fire TV Cube? Not right this second as we're Mm -hmm. recording this on November the 26th of 2019, but the answer here, Michael, truly is wait a little bit because the um, iTunes movie and iTunes TV apps are on Amazon Fire devices now, but the TV Cube doesn't have it just yet as Mm. we're recording this. That is set to change in the very near future. So once you have, so I mean, it's not, the iTunes app anymore, right? Is the what is the Apple TV app now? Okay, is yeah. what it's called. The Apple TV app is proliferating to every device under the sun because, of course, Apple wants to get their Apple TV Plus service onto everybody, and they're doing that through the Apple TV app. But the Apple TV app allows you to access your iTunes library. So mm. it's coming. Uh, honestly, that's the. I wouldn't go to any trouble of trying to DRM take out the DRM from your iTunes right. library <laughs> and transcode stuff. Like, don't do that in this case because it is coming. Just wait a little bit. <laughs> Just wait a little bit. All right. Moving on to Patricio P. First up, Patricio says thanks for discussing his mix of Klipsch Quintet and Kef T series speakers in his theater. He agrees that switching to the Kef T series, switching the Kef T series to the clips on walls probably makes the most sense so he'll get back to us once he tries that out good now on to a different room he'll be upgrading and upsizing his bedroom tv and he decided to grab a denon x 1600 h and the focal sib and cub 5.1 speaker package from accessories for less uh his bedroom is roughly 13 feet wide by 19 and a half feet long by 13 and a half feet high with the ceiling sloping upwards on all four sides so he's got a big old bedroom yeah it's kind of a canopy and the pictures are, in there yeah. yeah it's like pretty i, I love that yeah. accent wall wallpaper with the wallpaper on the back wall there yeah i dig it man that's a nice <laughs> bedroom. Uh, he put the small focal cub subwoofer in his front left corner and ran odyssey but it all sounded terrible terrible wow the bass was boomy there was noise in the lower mid-range and it all sounded fatiguing i get that so he tried putting the focal speakers in his theater and they sounded great yeah so his bedroom's acoustics seem to be the problem there you go that is true not the focal speakers themselves he tried a few adjustments to the subs volume and rerunning odyssey but it never sounded good in his bedroom his wife has already okayed a rug or carpet good And she is fine with there being room treatments as long as she approves the looks, of course. Nothing can block the windows, and she doesn't want it looking like a recording studio, so she's not going to want a ton of panels, you know. Yeah, fair (laughs) enough. (laughs) I got that. So what would we suggest? He says he'd feel guilty if he contacted Gick. Why would you feel guilty? And got their advice. Oh, but then ended up making all the treatments DIY. I see what you mean. You feel guilty (laughs) because you asked them and then you didn't buy it from him. Uh, So if he made all the DIY treatments and he doesn't end up buying anything from him, that's weird. So is there a minimum that will get his acoustics in order? Uh, I mean, there's not a hard and fast minimum. No, I mean, uh, definitely start with the rug. Oh, yes. Yeah. And you've got those All beautiful in favor windows. Of the rug. <laughs> so, like, how thick can you get those curtains? What can you put behind the curtains? Can you put a thick, heavy, th- you know, just to not change the look, but to change the absorptive quality? 
right? I mean, we come back to our rule of thumb, which is in most rooms, we're attempting to have about 30% of the total surface area. So remember, you got six surfaces. uh, Mm -hmm. And in his case, since he's got this uh, sort of canopied ceiling, it's like extra surfaces geometrically. Mm -hmm. But consider the ceiling as one total surface. You take all the surface area in your room and you want about 30% of that to be absorptive in most Mm -hmm. cases. I will say, though, in a room such as this, where you have this angled ceiling, where mm-hmm. every surface is hard, including the floor, and mm-hmm. yeah, rugs, definitely, if they've already been okayed, you put it in there, but it's not quite the same as having, you know, like a full two-inch or four-inch thick absorber when it's just a rug. You're in a room where I would say you basically can't over-treat this room. Right, right. So what... I'm getting at when I say that is I'm less concerned in this room because just looking at it, I can sort of imagine exactly what was the type of sound in there. I, I have a pretty yeah, uh-huh, good uh-huh. imagination of it's what... It's that slap echo when you clap your hands and you hear that ringing. That and that outright, like, yeah, that echo, like I'm in a... Just not a great acoustic space. <laughs> I, I can understand yeah, I, what that sound is. And the, what I'm driving at is that I am far less concerned in this room about particular spot placement for your early reflections versus just getting absorption into this room anywhere that you can. Right. Even like, though this- is that headboard hard? I mean, can you make that headboard <laughs> soft and absorptive? Like everything... Right. I mean, even, even though this isn't a huge open room like we're often right. dealing with, uh, right, this right. is a situation where even in this relatively small room with a door that can close, it's still a situation where I'd say anywhere that uh, that you can put absorption is going to help you, and mm-hmm. I'm not worried about first reflection points type of thing. So yeah, my, yeah. my number one suspect is the front wall, because that front, front wall, wall is just bare mm-hmm. behind the TV. Mm-hmm. And what you can do there is... You put up some one by twos, you throw some insulation in between those one by twos, and you cover the entire thing with acoustically transparent fabric. Uh, you can make it any color mm-hmm. you want. You could make it any pattern you want. Or a can, huge print. Could you get a huge print? Uh, you, who is it that does that? Uh, you could. I mean, there's Spoonflower. There's uh, yeah. My Fabric Designs. Uh, mm-hmm. You could get a huge print that goes there. You could uh, just get a pattern, a color. Mm-hmm. You could mm-hmm. get a color that matches the existing paint. You know, mm-hmm. there, there's multiple things that you could do to just literally cover that entire front wall with and what about some absorption the very- material. The very top of that tray ceiling, how would your wife feel about uh, some panels that were the same color as the ceiling color? Yeah, I mean, not uh, only that, I would go for all of the angled parts of that mm, ceiling. Mm, and again, mm-hmm. I wouldn't be even thinking panels. I'm thinking uh, batting or insulation secured right there to all those angled surfaces, and you cover uh, all of it with nice fabric. And again, yeah. you can you can turn yeah. it into a decorating opportunity because, right, right. Uh, or you can just have it blend in, right? Mm-hmm, uh, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't I wouldn't even bother with panels in this case. I would literally I gotcha. cover yeah. the entire surface with batting or insulation and fabric over the whole thing. And you know, right. if you have got seams in the fabric, you can put a nice little bit of wood trim over that and turn it into a real eye-catching decorative statement part of the room that enhances the aesthetics, right? Yeah, you would want to be careful not to turn it into a room at Graceland. Right. You ever been to Graceland to see no. Elvis's house? I Man, it's really cool. Person. It's really, it's really cool. Of course, I'm an Elvis fan, so I love it. Right. There's one room where like it's all covered in fabric. Mm-hmm. I think that's the billiard room, 
And woo, that's a lot going on. And so, you know, that's not what we're talking about. When he was saying, you know, what's the minimum that that he should do in here? I I think that will actually get you a long way. Uh, Inserting Mm -hmm. the rug, treating all of the angled parts of your ceiling and treating that entire front wall. That's going to start start getting you close to that 30% mark. And will you still have some reflections off of your side windows and off of the other side of the room where you can't really put, you know, panels on that side? Well, yeah, they'll they'll still be there. But what we're talking about about this the the focal sib and cub which i know to be pretty darn good speakers and sounded great in your theater sounded quote terrible in this room that's what i'm suggesting will get you down from that and i'm really not kidding when i talk about those windows uh and the curtains Mm -hmm. uh you don't have to change the overall look you just need a lot uh, much thicker uh material it can be white put two layers yeah Yeah, get a lot more curtains on that curtain rod Mm -hmm. That really will help because yep. he's got a spare amount of curtains on there, just enough to may- maybe cover the windows and right. thicken that up and bunch it up. And that'll yep. help a lot as well. Uh, let's see. I kind of lost my space. Here we go. Uh, he's hoping some Black Friday deals will mean another TV upgrade elsewhere in his house to a 65 inch 4K HDR TV. Yeah. He's very tempted by an LG OLED. Uh huh. But he's got kids <laughs> and he's a little bit concerned about burn in. And 65-inch LCDs are still cheaper, so what are our thoughts on what he should choose? Uh, My thought is, as a 65-inch LG OLED owner, Mm -hmm. is you buy that. Unless unless you just, unless your kids purposely want to burn in the TV, it's probably not going to happen. As long as you can walk through that room every now and then and make sure it's not just being ignored with a static image on it. Right. uh, It's not going to burn in just because they leave a game on for a couple few hours. Not not for that. No, uh, I mean, there's a few things that you can really do. First of all, like I said, I wish I could just say you don't have to worry about burn-in at all, but that would be a little bit irresponsible because it can happen. But it's harder to burn in an OLED than it was to burn in plasmas. So and I never burned in a plasma over. I used the same plasma for what was it? Five to it was thirteen years. (laughs) <laughs> and it's, it's much years. it's much harder to burn in an OLED than it was to burn in a plasma. So yeah. anybody who was okay with a plasma is way okay with an OLED. Yeah, uh, yeah. But more than that, like I'll bet your kids are probably going to use the streaming services on that OLED more than just mm-hmm. about anything else. And in the case of an LG OLED, if you pause any of the built-in screen screen yes. screen server comes on very quickly. So oh, the that's pretty little fireworks comes up. Yeah, that's right. I love that so much. It takes about it maybe it takes ninety seconds. Yeah. Comes on quickly. I, I, I all, of timed the, it, all of the modern video game systems, if you pause them, they either dim the image or put on a screensaver of their own. Yeah. Uh, my cable box puts on a screensaver after a while. I don't know That's if, right, if yeah. yours does, but most uh-huh. have the ability. Most Blu-ray players have screensaver options. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. turn on all the screensaver options on everything if you've turned it off. That, yeah. that for sure, do that. But I, I just... I wouldn't it's worry not a about problem. it. I don't, I, yeah, unless yeah. your kids are just, you think they're going to run into the TV. No, they're, yeah, but <laughs> then buy a cheap an LCD TV. Too, that way too. <laughs> but the, the other thing is, take it out of the default picture mode. Oh, God, yes. Um, Turn you know, that uh, OLED level down. The OLED, OLED light level. If you get the OLED light level, uh, so first of all, if you if you get it all the way down to 35, you won't have any of the automatic brightness limiter of the TV that some people complain about, and it's still mm. honestly plenty bright in my opinion. But yeah. Anywhere below 45, you drastically reduce the chances that you're going to produce any image retention if your OLED light setting is below 45. And I have to say, even if in the ISF night 
setting. Like we often say, you know, just put it in ISF right. night and mm-hmm. you're almost all the way there. But even that one, I think the default is 80 in the OLED light setting, even in yeah. that yeah. picture mode, which is a little bit surprising. So manually mm-hmm. lower the OLED light setting down to 45 or lower and... I wouldn't worry about I, it. You know, per, personally, I just, by my own eyeball and preference, I ended up with it at about 60-something. I think okay. it's like 61 or 2, just for me, because I almost never watch in the dark. Right. There's almost always these Torsier lights When uh, I'm in my pitch black setting, I have it down at, I think, 12, because it's... What? Yeah, because <laughs> that's 100 nits, and I don't want to yeah. go above that, 12 or 14 or something. Oh, um, man. I mean, here I am at 60-something, but uh, yeah, I'm loving it. But you have it. some ambient light, and I don't. I do. I do uh, but again, I turned it off for Mandalorian because right. it wasn't very, it was a dark show. Uh, so there are our thoughts on what he should choose. Mm-hmm. Always go OLED if you can. Uh, <laughs> along with his new 65-inch 4K TV, he wants to get an Ultra HD Blu-ray player. He's thinking he'd also like to be able to use this player in his theater with his projector. We seem to recommend the Panasonic players the most. Is the UB820 worth paying twice as much? As the UB420. I don't think so in most cases. So what does the 820 give you that the 420 doesn't? It gives you better build quality. It gives you Mm -hmm. a quieter mechanical spinning of the disc. So if those two things are super important to you, that could be worth some extra money. Of course, the major feature is that the 820 does Dolby Vision and the 420 does not do Dolby Vision. Mm, Now, for a projector, that of course means nothing. There are no Dolby Vision projectors, so there's no way I would be saying pay twice as much for an 820 with a projector, so that's number one. Of course, if you get an LG OLED that is a Dolby Vision capable display, and if you are going to be super depressed if Dolby Vision, the little logo, never lights up on your LG (laughs) OLED, then maybe that's worth $500 instead of $250 to you. But the LG OLED, which is the one we're telling you to get, uh, does have dynamic tone mapping. It, it retone maps an HDR10 signal on a frame-by-frame basis and that analyzes mm-hmm. it itself and adjusts it itself. All the detail is there. Is it literally identical to the way the Dolby Vision looks? Not every time. Yeah. But the major thing is that all the detail is there. So, yeah, like You I say, and I have talked about this a few times now as to whether or not it even matters anymore it's, that it's Dolby Vision or HDR10 or whatever because the TVs themselves can do it on the fly. Yeah, I mean, HDR10 with no dynamic tone mapping, I'd rather be able to do Dolby Vision if it's available right. to me. But HDR10 with dynamic tone mapping built into the display, I'm like, I don't really care about mm-hmm. Dolby Vision anymore. So yeah. uh, I say save the money and go with the 420 unless look within yourself and say to yourself, <laughs> if I never see Dolby Vision light up from my Ultra HD Blu-ray player, I, I might just walk out of this house and never return. Well, then spend the extra money, but only then. Do you know the first time I've seen the words Dolby Vision come up on this uh, LG OLED of mine was watching Mandalorian and it was disappointing? <laughs> well, How about they, that? The first time I saw it, it was Mandalorian. And I was but like, that's not Mah. Dolby Vision's fault. That was how they mastered it. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but how sad. The first time I see it, I'm like, oh, right. it's, it's okay. <laughs> All right, so uh, one more question from him. Uh, Panasonic's HDR optimizer doesn't do anything for HDR 10 plus or Dolby Vision content, content right? Correct. Uh, Correct. The HDR optimizer is only for HDR 10, and uh, I think we're getting to some more stuff about HDR yeah. optimizer later, so I'll address it then. But right. yeah, no, so it, doesn't, we, uh, it doesn't touch the uh, the uh, dynamic metadata formats. There we go. So now we're moving on to Alan C. Alan says, help me, Mr. Wizard, and says we get extra points if we know where that's from. 
I sure as heck did not, and I found oh. out it's before my time, and that's why I didn't know. Okay. I mean, <laughs> it's before my time. I'm the old guy here, and I still didn't know it. Funnily enough, I remember the reference to where it came from in The Matrix. Because, oh, really? Because Neo yells out, help me, Mr. Wizard, at one point. But, oh, uh, I would not have gotten that watching that, so I had to look it up, and it was a cartoon with a turtle or it something. It was. It was a turtle. It was, what, Tootor Turtle? Tootle? Something like that. I looked it up, but I don't remember. So we get no extra points, because we don't really remember, Alan. I will fully admit to that. But now I kind of want to see it, just because. He's moving to Florida, bless his heart. And he wants any new wiring figured out and done before they start setting up their furniture. I get that. Fair enough. He'll be putting his OLED and sound system in a wide open, quote, gathering room. I mean, that's what it's labeled in the diagram. So that's what I'll call it. (laughs) I just like how it sounds like something out of eyes wide shut. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) jeez. Welcome to the gathering room. (laughs) Use Fidelio as the password to get in. Uh, The space is 17 feet long, 19 and a half feet wide, and 9 feet high, so everyone can stand in a circle with robes on and candles. Um, But it's wide open to the kitchen, dining area, foyer, and has a knee wall into a flex room. So this is a big wide open space. Mm -hmm. And yes, the blueprint uh, that he has sent us, uh, it is is big, it's open to everything, and that's going to be a very nice looking house. I'd like it. It's got a lanai. Ooh. I only learned that term when I went to Hawaii one time. <laughs> lanai. Very nice. Um, and it's a covered lanai. It's gorgeous. Uh, he says he knows nothing about this space is optimal for audio. That's true. But it's a case of life on life's terms. So he's just looking for the least bad option. And that happens with most everybody, man. Yep. You got to live where you live. Yes, you do. And you can't always just rebuild your house to perfection for audio. Uh, he's mainly asking what he should do for surround speakers. He was thinking he'd go for a 5.2.4 Atmos setup. The Atmos speakers could all be in ceilings, uh, and he'd put his two SVS PC 2000 cylinder subs in diagonally opposing corners of the, quote, gathering room. Mm-hmm. Although, of course, that doesn't mean much for the open space as a whole. Sure speaker stands are 100% not an option so should he go for in ceiling surround speakers perhaps some uh some of those with the angled drivers or he was thinking he could mount some speakers on the small portions of wall at the back corners of this gathering room uh they'd have to be mounted fairly high about six feet off the floor and they'd be way behind the seats okay any other suggestions so you know, surround back speakers can be way behind the seats. <laughs> I mean, these are but, essentially the back corners of if this room had a back wall, it would be the back right. corners of this room uh, mm-hmm. where where he could put regular speakers mounted to the walls, although a little bit high up. Uh, could he I- mount something hanging down from the ceiling? So that they're not all the way in the ceiling and could get a little bit better angle. I'm kind of betting if he did that, it would still have to be in the back corners because yeah. it seems as though the the idea here is that the speakers are well out of the way right that's that's what right, i'm gathering. just not to be seen as much that's There's, what you're gathering get it yeah, it's the gathering room yeah so um <laughs> i have a thought outside of the surround speakers though which is that i don't think you should do atmos in this room not i really, really don't mm-hmm. um I, I mentioned a similar thing in, in a not completely dissimilar situation where when you're adding more speakers whose only job most of the time is to add more ambient sound into mm-hmm, your room, mm-hmm. but you're in a space that is wide open. I bet not fully acoustically treated. <laughs> I bet that Almost this is going to be not. one of those situations yeah. where if you could put something absorptive anywhere, please do so. Cause I bet this space is going to have a bit of echo to it. I, I the, 
floor in the kitchen probably isn't soft, right? right. Um, so, <laughs> so I don't really think you should do Atmos in here. I don't think it's going to help you. I think it's going to muddy up your yeah. front soundstage more than it's going to help anything whatsoever. It's just more echoing. That's right. And I mean, I don't have a huge problem with having the surround speakers in those back corners if that's, and it does look, yeah. that, that's really the only option. He's got sort of this little section of wall on the right hand side between the knee wall and that, but he has nothing matching on the other side, which is no. a sliding glass door. So honestly, if you get rid of the Atmos speakers, then just having one pair of in ceiling surround speakers that are, you know, where surround speakers should be, but they just happen to be in your ceiling instead of to yeah, your sides. I kind of like that idea. I'm I don't know more about, in favor of that. Instead of having the surround speakers being so far back jammed into a yeah, corner. Yeah. Yeah. I like the idea of just, uh, yeah. And, and I like his idea of the uh, aimable, you know, drivers, aimable oh, sure. tweeters in some uh, ceiling yeah, the speakers. Ones that have and, the 15 or 20 degree angle that's built into them. Uh, when they're yeah. your surround speakers and not your Atmos speakers, Atmos speakers should fire straight down. But when they're mm-hmm, your surround mm-hmm. speakers, yeah, having them angled, I'm fine with that. Uh, yeah, so honestly, I would forgo your Atmos speakers and get a pair of in-ceiling surround speakers, which I wouldn't place the way he has like his top rears. I would place them mm-hmm. probably a little bit wider apart and closer to your to the sides of your seats, right? Where Wait, surround so how, speakers would normally go. How far is his face going to be from the screen uh it looks like it's going to be about 10 feet just about 10 feet yeah, yeah. It or so and so maybe just just 11 or 12 bu- feet back yeah a yeah, little bit yeah. behind you and to the sides of your couch and in your ceiling that's that's my suggestion to you and it's going to be the most approved by everyone else in the house because oh, it's going to yeah. blend in real nice so we're saying basically stick with 5.1 in this yep, or well, 5.2, 5.2 in this case yeah yeah 5.2. i think so i think that's the best way to do this all right. Yeah, I think uh, that'll be quite enjoyable. Uh, you know, at this point, now that we are an hour and something minutes into the show, we're going to start new questions. <laughs> that's not unusual <laughs> for us. It's about part of the course. I just think that's great. Okay, what the heck? Let's go for it. Take a deep breath. Mike S. has a new question for this week. Mike will be tackling his DIY sidewall treatments this week. Okay, fun. Since he wants to save as much room width as possible, and aesthetics are also a high priority, Gick had suggested to him that he make a simple frame using one by twos covering pretty much all of his sidewalls. And we said we agreed with that idea. Mm-hmm. Sounds right. One by twos will, of course, result in one and a half inch bays for insulation. So Mike wanted to confirm which type of insulation he should install. Should he go for comfort board that typically gets secured directly to concrete foundation walls? It's about the only type of insulation he found that is exactly one and a half inches thick. Or should he be looking for Owens Corning 703 or something else? Uh, To me, I'd rather have a slightly compressed uh, fiberglass insulation that's squishy than to have... Oh, I don't know. Rather than have something that's more stiff... Or, yeah, well, the, the comfort board stuff that is meant for, like, basements, you put it right against your foundation mm-hmm. wall, you actually secure it directly, it doesn't go in any type of frame or anything like that, right, and right. then you put your 2x4s uh, framing on top of that insulation, that mm. is not appropriate as an acoustic treatment. Uh, it has really quite a very rigid front face. I mean, if you mm. could get to the squishier innards and just around the edges, yeah. that's a little bit acoustically absorptive, but that's not really what you're looking for here. Um, it would act as a reflector it would act almost the same as just a drywall surface so that that isn't what you want you don't want the comfort board what you can do is just get the one inch thick roxel Uh or the one inch thick owens corning 703 now i mean 
effectively as acoustic treatment, they perform the same. Uh, one is just made out of rock wool, that being the rock sole, or made out of fiberglass, that being the Owens Corning 703. Really doesn't matter which one you choose. And both of them are... They're more rigid than the pink stuff. They actually hold their shape, which is good because you're going to have mm-hmm. a very simple frame and you want something that isn't going to like, you know, sag, sag <laughs> once you right. put the fabric yeah, yeah. up. So both of those are good choices, whether it's the Rock Soul or the Owens Corning 703. Um, but, you know, it's one inch thick. You're just going to have a little bit of an air gap in behind it, a half inch air gap, which is uh-huh. actually good. Uh-huh. It's it's It works just as well as if the insulation itself were an inch and a half thick. So okay. there's no downside to any of that. Um, yeah, Acoustamac actually sells it just raw. Although I noticed that their shipping prices on their website are like crazy high. But um, I've, I've talked to Mike through email. He was like, oh, I just called them. And they're like, yeah, we can do way better on the shipping than what's on the website. Oh. So uh, tip there, okay. call Acoustamac and see if yeah, you can get Yeah, you know, you forget that you can kind of negotiate. Yeah. <laughs> like well, we all I, forget. We're all so used to ordering things. You forget you can call a human being and go, hey, what can you do for well, me? It was, you know? it was abnormally high. High, like higher than anything else that they yeah. charge to ship. So I was like, I, that's that weird. doesn't look right. So anyway, uh, good tip there. But of course, you can get that stuff at a lot of your local hardware stores. Sure, um, yeah, like really don't overthink it. It just needs nope. to be squishy. Like I can tell you from yeah. experience, old bedspreads are great. Sure. But <laughs> in the pretty. case of putting it in a one by two frame, something that's <laughs> yeah. not a bedspread that's literally just going to fall down the moment you let go of it. Well, you could so. staple it to the <laughs> underside of the top part of the frame. So. You could. And you I could. swear to you, if you couldn't see it and it looked okay, it would yeah. work pretty much as well. Mm-hmm. Couple of bedspreads, one in front of the other, would be about that inch <laughs> yeah. and a half. Just uh, don't, think, don't think about it too hard. Uh, Matthew H. How does the Epson 5050UB compare to the new breed of ultra-short-throw laser projectors like the Optima Cinema XP1? Are the image quality and black levels similar? Boy, it always sounds like a laser projector would be really the thing, wouldn't it? Like, it just sounds... Well, it sounds cool and futuristic, but yeah. it's just the light source. And uh-huh. so um, JVC has one that's very mm-hmm. similar to this. Again, uh, ultra short throw, DLP, laser light source. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so, I mean, to answer the question directly, no, the image quality and the black levels are not the same. The Epson 5050UB is superior, mm-hmm. but they are for very different use cases. Uh, That's right. You know, the Epson 5050UB in a high ambient light environment, even with an ambient light rejecting screen, it's not the best choice. You know, okay. if it's a situation where a lot of the time you're going to have a fully blacked out room, you're going to be able to watch movies in fully blacked out conditions, then the 5050UB on a white screen is going to look better. Uh, If it's a situation where most of the time you're in the blacked out room, once in a while you have a small amount of ambient light and maybe you get an ambient light rejecting screen or maybe you just go for a gray screen, the 5050UB is going to look very good in those conditions, but... The what these ultra short throw um, DLP laser light engine uh, projectors are for that are in around the three thousand to thirty five hundred dollar range. Pretty much all of these new breed ones are. Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, when you've got a substantial amount of ambient light and you're never not going to have a substantial amount of ambient light, they are the 1080p DLP chip that they wobble four times per frame. Okay. Uh, to get you the 4K resolution. They're not a genuine 4K chip, uh, so they're wobbling at four times a frame. They don't have the contrast or the black levels of the Epson 5050UB. I mean, even in a fully blacked out room on a white screen, they don't have 
the black levels mm-hmm. or the contrast. They don't have as wide color, even though they're a laser light engine, they st- all still have a color wheel. They're using a blue huh. laser that is activating a yellow phosphor to create white light. Okay. That's what they're doing with it. They're shooting a blue huh. laser at a yellow phosphor that combines to form white light, and then it's still going through a color wheel. So this isn't I like see. an RGB laser projector, which are way more expensive. So the, the fact that it's hitting a phosphor, is that the reason why it Because you would think a laser could shut on and off so fast you could have fantastic black levels, well, but not if it's making a phosphor glow, because that phosphor can't shut off and on as fast. It's, it, it is pretty quick. They do mention their dynamic you know, black level thing, but that's only on a literally full black screen. Right. right, your full fade to black. Yeah, the laser light engine can switch off for a moment. Yeah. but as soon mm-hmm. as there's anything on screen, uh, it has to yeah. come on full blast, like it always does. So, right. um, yeah, these aren't equivalent. Um, you know, I mean, over at uh, the HDTV and Home Theater podcast, Ara Dadarian just got himself this Optima Cinema XP1, and he loves it because he's got a window at the back of his theater, and he got, oh, an oh, amb- yeah. <laughs> you know, he got one of these ultra short throw ambient light uh, rejecting screens that is specific mm-hmm. for ultra short throw projectors, which you actually kind of need. Um, I was actually kind of laughing in the back of my mind when he first mentioned he was going to get this because when he got his original JVC projector, he spent a lot of money on a, um, was it a Black Diamond, a, a Screen Innovations Black Diamond screen that was a lot of money. That is technically an ambient light rejecting screen, but it doesn't work with ultra short throw projectors. They're like, oh, are you going to have to buy a new screen? <laughs> oh. Which he discovered and did so. Uh, but, you know, Elite Screens has those. My favorite one for um, ambient light rejecting uh, ultra short throw or otherwise is from a LunaVision. That's the one I would uh, recommend to you but that adds mm. you know a couple thousand dollars to the price of Ooh. this thing so now you're up into the five thousand dollar territory once you put them together so it's for that specific purpose if you have a blacked out theater stick with the 5050 ub right it's, it does still have better black levels it does still have better color but it needs the environment to work in it can't do what the ultra short throw does in a high ambient light environment so it's okay. good that they both exist by the way speaking of projectors do you remember my friend asking how cheap she could go and still get a good 1080p projector and we went with a benq yeah yeah she actually ended up buying that benq the cheaper benq that was still a true 1080p 1920 h530 fhd i know it's f30 something 535 hd i think yeah Yeah. and uh it was so funny at first uh her husband uh hooked it up and uh they they didn't he has never worked with anything high def so he didn't even know that he needed an HDMI cable. Oh, And so okay. he hooked it up just the same way the old one was hooked up. Mm. And so he's watching Blu-rays across a regular composite video cable, and he told me, he's like, yeah, it's, it's a little clearer. He, you could tell he was disappointed. I'm like, what do you mean? I thought he was joking mm. that it was just only a little clearer. So anyway, long story short, went over there, got it hooked up right, and I think the man watched every Blu-ray they had over the next <laughs> couple of days. He couldn't believe it. So right. it's so nice to, to have somebody take that leap from yeah. you know, standard def where they're just so used to it and then yep. jump into hd and go oh my god <laughs> and i did have to remind myself i'm like that was what like a 500 550 projector right it was 558 something like okay. that okay so I think is what they paid you know uh-huh. and I, I always have to remind myself because i'm like you know it, that's like a little bit below the 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 cheapest one i wanted you to get was like the ht 2050a from also from 600 BenQ, something 650 dollars yeah. and i'm like oh you know if you can get there try to get there but i'm like you know that 530 fhd compared to what we had yep. let's say seven eight years ago <laughs> yes and in fact what they were working with was something uh that only had like rgb and mm-hmm. then standard def 
So it might have been an 800 by 600 projector. Probably. And uh, so they, they're just absolutely loving it. I, oh, I mean, I kind of wish I could have talked to them in the more expensive one because they're going to have to move the projector a little farther forward than they would okay. like on the ceiling to get the zoom to hit the screen mm-hmm. like they want. Uh, but otherwise, it's just really fun to get something hooked up for somebody. And for the first time, they're just staring at their wall in their house going, wow. Yep. And, <laughs> and I like, have Yay. to remind myself again with these ultra short throw projectors. I'm like, if you haven't had a projector before and that's what you suddenly jump to. Right. You will be blown away. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and it'd be like, why is Rob yeah. saying to get something else? Even though I, I'm in a I black theater. Everybody yeah. that's an AV enthusiast that listens to a podcast like this, uh, you never forget that the bulk of the population out there has no idea what we're talking right. about. Yeah. And when they first see something good, it is kind of a mind blower. I remember, you know, like when we first got our plasma in 2005, friends and family would just sit with us and watch anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in ages absolutely anything in hd it was like, wow <laughs> it looks 3d <laughs> so anyway good experience there with the projector Great. uh andrew has a question andrew is moving soon and he's trying to figure out which room to use as his theater he's included pictures but they show the previous owner's furniture so the arrangement can be completely different once andrew moves in so just ignore all the stuff in the room that's right the first option is a large completely open living room which is the first room you would enter when coming through the front door. The ceiling slopes upwards, and the room is open to the stairs going up to the second level, the dining area, the kitchen, into a sitting room with a fireplace. So it's kind of another gathering room yep. situation. Open. High ceiling. Uh, yeah, it's it's big, fun party room. That I get it. Um, <laughs> Andrew figured this room has the space for a very large projection screen, likely on the wall where the previous owners have their couch at the low end of the sloped ceiling. So the ceiling was sloped down yeah, to you the projector have your back wall. to the stairs, basically. Yeah. Right. So it gets bigger behind you is mm-hmm. what we're talking about. Uh, but Andrew knows that light control and positioning his audio system would be a challenge. Yeah. It is almost everywhere. This would but be yes, a room where an ultra short throw projector with an ambient light projecting screen would be wow, the choice if you were going that? to go projector. If you were going yeah. to do it, that's what you would want in that There you type go. Of room. Yeah. Look at us just working things in perfectly. Uh, so that's one option, that big old sloped room, and it does have pretty good windows. Uh, second option is the sitting room with the fireplace. The back of this room has the doorway from the living room and also is open to the kitchen. Mm -hmm. Then it's basically rectangular with a flat ceiling. There's a large window on the right and then doors on the left into the closet under the stairs, plus a hallway opening on the left as well. And so there are pictures for that if you want to Mm -hmm. look at his pictures. On YouTube. So the question is, which room should become his theater? Yes. Uh, you know, for me, that den or whatever we're calling it, the sitting room. Sitting room with the fireplace. I, yeah. I lean toward that just because of its more conventional shape. Yeah. And I mean, you instinctively, can I just better. immediately uh-huh. go to that. I mean, especially for I can actually envision where you might put some surround speakers into that rectangular room with the flat yes. ceiling. I could actually get on board with putting Atmos into this sitting room with the fireplace where I would not recommend having Atmos into that gigantic sloped ceiling living room. Right. I, I the the only Atmos thing, I, I have a couple of hesitations, and that's he seems interested in a projector. Yes. And how how mu- how big a screen can we get there before we're coming down too far in front of the fireplace? Right. And then you might want to change that uh, 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 ceiling fan so it isn't hanging down. Yep. You get a flush mount ceiling fan that's with flatter possible. lights. Uh, so, but you could do it in there and then we just yeah. have a conversation about how big can the screen be 
to still <laughs> fit your speakers on either side. We have that uh, discussion a lot with people who have narrower rooms, but uh, man, yeah, that's just a lot we're leading easier. sitting room for sure. Now, I will say um, the fairly large hallway opening on the left, I'm mm-hmm. like... Is there any way we could put some French doors on that opening? Man, yeah. I mean, uh, I, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell you to start closing in this entire room, like putting doors uh, across the kitchen opening, or right, right. probably even the opening at the back that's going into the living. Because if you're open to the kitchen, what's being open to the living room? It doesn't really make any difference. The kitchen is right. also open to the living room, so uh, I'm not gonna tell you to close in the back, but closing in the left hand side. Um, mm-hmm. that hallway. I'm like, man, some French doors there wouldn't look out of place. I mean, they could be glass French doors, you know, like or French doors with lights in them. With, with well, I got gotcha, you, yeah, in, with, in with glass in the middle of them. Yes, yeah, you know that that wouldn't look out of place. It would give you a continuous left wall and a continuous right wall. Yeah, uh, they would kind of match because there's a window on the other side. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I'm kind of if if that's something that might be renovated as part of moving into this house, I'd be in favor of that. But yeah, um, you know, he's saying other shortcomings of these rooms. I mean, like I say, if you're in that living room situation, I'm like, you're yeah. not doing Atmos in there. You have no. to go ambient light rejecting, whereas you might actually be able to use light control to get pretty good results without going ambient you light could rejecting even... in the in the sitting you, room you could hang a heavy curtain type thing uh behind you to separate the room which from is actually the amongst his questions so uh, right. oh, I, I, hadn't even I, I think uh, we've answered a and yeah we're getting on to b which is exactly the curtain thing there all right, right let me go ahead and read b and we'll keep talking sure. about this if he goes with the smaller sitting room he was thinking of hanging heavy black curtains to close off uh, the hallway opening on the left and the kitchen opening at the back, do we think it'd be a good idea? Yes. And again, going further, I like Rob's idea of can you have some doors installed right. on the left? Uh, just because it would sort of look good, it gives you a, a more controllable space to deal with. And these and, can be retractable curtains. They don't have to be constantly in place. And you know what? You could even yeah. do. You could go motorized. You could go remote control motorized oh. and you start hooking that into your Harmony Hub setup, which yeah. can control anything that comes with a remote. Uh, it starts getting pretty fancy because you hit right. watch a movie and not only do your, let's say you throw some Philips Hue lights into your new overhead oh. lighting fixture, yeah, 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 it yeah. dims the lights, the curtains motorized closed over your windows, over your back curtain, maybe even yeah. have curtains that go over the new French doors that you installed. Right. You can close down this room and suddenly have a real theater environment at the push How of a button. How classy would that be? Come on. is that? And that, yeah. see, that the, the whole idea of using this room also is, is because that big center living area, uh, his version of the gathering room, is always going to kind of be busy. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, There's I have always going to be light. Like, you're never going to yeah. block out the light in that living room. Never. You're, you're, you're going to have a hard time concentrating on the right. movie or the football game or whatever it is. Yeah. In that bigger and getting space, the sound so. in shape in there. I mean, you know, yeah. with the with it being open to the kitchen and the and the living room for sure, and maybe you know in the hallway if he's not going to put any French doors in, like you're not going to have the the full base pressurization twenty hertz at one hundred and fifteen decibels. It's not going to be realistic in this sitting room either. But <laughs> in every other way, you can have the better acoustic experience in there. So. Right. The whole situation just gets easier and has more options in the little sort of den area becomes the media room. Um, So he goes on to say uh, if he goes with the smaller sitting room, should he use an acoustically transparent screen with his front speakers placed behind it? Now, see, I'm in favor here of a retractable screen. I am, too. I am, too, because then it could come down and and block part of that fireplace. That's right. 
and where you don't normally you wouldn't want to block the fireplace all the time. No, I mean uh, it'd be right. bad for the screen. Right? So you don't want. You that. realize what we're you doing here for him? We're we're generating him a convertible room that changes with the press yeah. of a button. That's right. Screens, I mean, you know, curtains all come around. How cool is that? We're talking about motorized stuff that, you know, it's, if the money isn't there, you might not be able to do all of it right away. No. But, but imagine how cool this room becomes when literally yeah, one man. Harmony activity button starts motorizing things around. Screen, oh, shades, lights dim, all that stuff. So <laughs> I'm, I'm in favor of a motorized screen that yeah. comes down. Uh, I would actually go acoustically transparent, mainly because I think the best place to put your center speaker is right on top of the fireplace mantle yes right yeah actually it's the easiest for one thing oh yeah and it yeah. gets you at the, a nice height it's not going to be too low or too high and of uh, course an acoustically transparent screen gives you the most option you can put the you, you, it can be as wide as will fit and you could actually yeah. still have a flat panel mounted above the fireplace if you want just to. like it is in this picture just yes. like it is in this picture. i'm sure the owners are taking that with them but right. you could do that and then hey when you want all the lights on you got yourself a flat panel you press the uh, button all the motorized stuff closes and dims and down comes your screen and it's big movie hey, screen time Again, like I said before, never forget you can negotiate. You could negotiate for that TV and not have to bother Mm. and just have that TV already there because it looks like it's installed nicely. But I think he wants the gigantic projection screen. He does, but if it comes down in front of another TV... Oh, it comes... Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, see, then you've got ultimate convertibility. Yeah, and you can certainly do acoustically transparent motorized, so I'm in favor of that. Yeah. So... Uh, then his next question is the obvious, what would be some good speaker options? And I see a, a couple of suggestions you have already there, Rob. The yeah. HSU um, and Klipsch. Without going too crazy overpriced, uh, honestly, I think if you went with the Klipsch Reference Premier on-wall speakers, mm-hmm. uh, it's really going to be easy to install on that front wall because they're on walls. It's going to mm-hmm. look really slick on top of that mantle. Uh, if the mantle is actually, it doesn't look like a very deep mantle, but if it is, the no. Klipsch on-wall center comes with a nice glass stand so mm-hmm. you don't even have to have it recessed back but you could mount it to the wall it's not going to be mm-hmm. the end of the world put something absorptive on the top of that mantle in front of the speaker if you do recess it a bit but then you're going to have them nicely mounted on the side walls they're classy looking you know that's that's what i would go for there all right, right and right. uh and yeah i i would say you probably want some fairly efficient speakers in here so if you are a fan a bigger fan of just a regular bookshelf type of form factor for some reason uh hsu shoes uh horn loaded speakers i would point you right there uh actually i would probably get three of the centers so that you get the uh mid tweeter mid type of arrangement okay the, uh, horn loaded center you just get three of those use two of them vertically and i'd either i'd go for those but i think the Klipsch reference premiere on walls are really gonna fit the bill nicely in here yeah, I'm unusually excited about somebody else's room here. I'm like, oh, that'd be really cool. <laughs> so there you go. That's, I think he's going to have a great time. I hope room. so. All right. Uh, you're going to need to tell me if I'm pronouncing this name right. right. Yango? I think it's Ilongo. Ilongo. It's an so that's an I-L. It's it an look I. like two L's. I didn't want to put uh, a little I because that's not how you capitalize a person's name. Right. Well, it's confusing <laughs> with this particular font. And he isn't from uh, Apple. He isn't I-Longo. Ilongo. <laughs> I, yeah, okay, so it's Ilongo. Hi, Ilongo. Ilongo wants to get a wireless transmitter and receiver kit for his subwoofer for under $150. He just has the one subwoofer for now, and the wireless signal only needs to go about 15 feet. However, he wants rock-solid reliability, as we all do, and no signal interference. He's considered the Outlaw Audio OAW3, the SVS SoundPath Wireless Audio Adapter. It's $120. And the Dayton Audio Wavelink, which is $58, is one of those the best. 
or is there a different option we'd recommend more highly uh going without law on this one aren't you yeah but not the oaw3 which is actually discontinued anyway now i don't know that might have just been a typo on his part because they're up to the oaw4 now Mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. would be the most expensive out of the ones he's looked at it goes for 129 dollars for the transmitter and the receiver but that's under 150 that's in his budget and that's the one i would go for um even though it costs the most i would go for it for a couple of reasons one by the specs it has the longest wireless range including through a wall if you have to no um but it has the longest wire it's 130 feet line of sight which your room ain't that big no. uh, <laughs> and uh 130 feet and it has um the uh, automatic frequency skipping so that if there is any interference that's coming in there it automatically changes to a new uh frequency on both the transmitter and receiver automatically and i like the form factor of it best it uses regular rca connections instead of having to use the little 3.5 millimeter adapters plus the other ones are all usb powered so you have these weird little usb dongles hanging off of them no i hate all that the oaw4 (laughs) it's clean i like the form factor regular rca cables work and it has the best range and the frequency hopping if you have any interference yeah, it's the most expensive so one. It but gives it's you more flexibility you for the future too, if it has yep. that greater range and so That's forth. That's right. So, all right, well, there's a great suggestion. OAW4 from Outlaw. Moving on, Robin G. Uh, both Robin and his wife are musicians, Nito, and both of them have some hearing loss in their left ears. Wonder what happened off to the left one day. <laughs> That's interesting that they would both develop in the same direction. Uh, different causes, but they just so happen to have similar hearing loss. Same side, similar range of frequencies. That's really interesting. Mm-hmm. So. Is there a way to use any of the modern auto EQ programs to adjust some compensation just on the left side? There is. That what, is possible, right? Auto EQ? No, no, no. I, it is you know there's a way to get this effect. Yes, is what there's I mean. a way to do this, yeah. but yeah. Uh, I I'm not familiar with being able to do it inside of the auto EQ programs. I mean, you could certainly well have, on my Yamaha, I could change the left side to whatever I wanted, just front left I, and not front sure. right. The oh, EQ. Yeah 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 Yeah? i can adjust each speaker separately even in my sort of 2014 model yamaha receiver okay it's one of the reasons Um, i liked the yamahas because i can tweak it to my heart's desire yeah because i I was i was looking at the odyssey eq editor app and i I mean the reason i know that i can speaker by speaker i the reason i know i can is because it had a different eq for my right front speaker Mm. because on on the right hand on my right hand side when i'm sitting in my living room there's sort of the open foyer that's a few Mm -hmm. feet deeper and so it's a little different and i just kind of wanted them to match just because to see what it sounded like i mean it certainly does eq them individually like when you run the auto setup it does the speakers one at a time so Mm -hmm. um and i could i changed just that one speaker yeah that should be i mean certainly the trim levels that's obvious those go speakers yeah yeah, i mean i could adjust the cue and the amount i mean i got a whole different curve a whole different curve for one side yeah because to do it in odyssey would have to be through the odyssey editor app which isn't tough but it does mean just using your finger on a graphic on your um of course this is why target curve yeah yours would be why pow and you're doing it right on the av receiver itself yeah um i I mean those would be the ones i would recommend uh to do it externally you can certainly do this with a mini dsp Mm -hmm. uh but that would require you sending the signal out of a set of pre-outs from your AV receiver. Mm-hmm. The pre-outs would feed the mini DSP, and then the outputs of the mini DSP would have to feed an external amplifier. So that considerably complicates the system if you just right. have an AV receiver right now. Uh, yeah, God, I don't know why I Yamaha, was thinking Yamaha, man, that the, I'm telling you, I'm sure Yamaha can do it. 
It was just, I was you looking could, at the interface of the Odyssey editor app and it just said front surrounds back. But you know what? It had a drop down menu. So I'm sure you can choose left mm-hmm. and right individually because it has to. It, it EQs them individually. That's right. So I think either of those work. Uh, yeah, Lee can confirm for you for sure that Yamaha will do <laughs> it in their YPOW program. So the answer is yes. <laughs> you can you can do <laughs> yeah, this. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I mean, there's nothing wrong with when both of you are sharing, you know, the same bit of hearing loss on the left hand side. You probably want to make the front left speaker a little louder um, uh-huh. right away. That's super and easy and just the trim I'm level. assuming they would want to boost the treble on that side, the Probably. higher frequencies, yeah, uh, or or wherever the hearing loss happens to be. Right. So, so uh, yeah, what you could do, I mean, it would doable. take a long time to get it exactly right for yourself mm. because you'd be playing like test tones, yeah, you know, like yeah. pink noise sweeps and stuff. Until this two sides match, and of course, anyone else coming to listen yep, is going to hear sound off balance. It's going to sound really gonna weird. Throw their but, stereo imaging off a bit, yeah. right? But to heck with those people. Uh, <laughs> no, maybe your system. But, but you could pop into the system and change to a different EQ. You could turn it back mm. flat or something. Oh right, yeah. Use the different, mm. uh, and it modes. would still retain your special setting, so you could use a different mode. And to do it uh, in Odyssey, you could use yeah. the save and load feature that is again within the Odyssey editor app. So, uh-huh. yeah. So yeah, I think on my remote control, I think I have a button where I could get to that pretty right. quick. Okay, so there's a, there's a possibility for you. Nice, good old, good old Yamaha. Gurinder, uh, am I saying that right? I think so. Okay. Uh, well, I'm your not, name I'm today not is Gurinder, sure. sir. Yes, <laughs> Gurinder. Uh, the Panasonic UB420 Ultra HD Blu-ray player, which we talked about earlier, has mm-hmm. been on sale for Black Friday both in the USA and Canada. Since Gurinder uses a JVC X790 projector, he's been tempted, even though he already owns an Ultra HD Blu-ray player. Sure. But as cool as Panasonic's HDR optimizer seems to be, it still isn't frame-by-frame dynamic tone mapping, is it? Has there been any word about players that do frame-by-frame dynamic tone mapping for his projector? This was the little bit I wanted to get to about the HDR optimizer. So great question, Mm, Gurinder. mm -hmm. I'm glad that you asked it. Uh, You are correct. The HDR optimizer is not frame-by-frame dynamic tone mapping. Uh, They are actually still looking at the metadata in the HDR10 signal. Uh, They're Mm -hmm. looking at the mastering monitor uh, metadata and the... um, the peak light level uh, metadata that's in the signal. And sometimes those values have been zeroed out on the disks and they don't mm. exist, at which point the Panasonic must assume that it goes all the way up to 10,000 nits and tone map based on that. So it doesn't always give you the same results as what frame-by-frame analysis would give you. I haven't heard any word about Ultra HD Blu-ray players that will do frame-by-frame dynamic tone mapping. Seems like something that should be possible, but... Mm, um, It sure should. Flat out the number of Ultra HD Blu-ray players that we might see. I'm like, I don't know if anybody's going to release a new one you know samsung and lg have completely abandoned the market um so strange isn't it so you know you got sony out there who still hasn't figured out how to automatically detect dolby vision for some reason uh (laughs) oppo's gone so the panasonic is almost the only game in town now aside from being the best they're almost the only Mm. game in town Uh, i don't know Uh, hopefully they do but um yeah are we gonna lose physical media it's getting that way man it's Getting just it's a, it's disappointing, but I, I guess a, a media player with a little SSD or something is what's <laughs> going to come in the future, and we'll just I mean maybe we'll um, everything most everything's in the cloud, but some people are still mm-hmm. going to want to have a copy of the thing. Would be nice where I can be separate from the internet and still enjoy right. my stuff. That's what I care about. It doesn't have to be a and disc. It can't be taken away on a studio's whim either. 
exactly and i just uh, so yeah as long as we there's some way to own it where no one else can come get it <laughs> and i don't have to be connected to the world I, I still want that uh sean w sean is using the rbh impression series r55 ti towers up front and the r515 center <laughs> now he would like to add a pair of surround speakers and for atmos speakers overhead what's a good option for his surround speakers that would nicely match his front three at a reasonable price and rbh definitely has you covered there yeah well the impression series uh the the ones that have been here for the past couple of years have been discontinued so Mm -hmm. he's probably looking at that and going yeah that series is gone supposedly Mm -hmm. there's a new one on its way but we have no idea if and when uh so the rbh r5 bookshelf speakers are still available though the ones mm-hmm. that completely perfectly match your R515 center. Uh, they go for 300 bucks a pair. At least I think that was the price. I, I can't see the prices in Canada because it only says go to your RBH dealer in Canada and I have to use a VPN oh. or something to tunnel in there to see the American prices. So uh, in any case, <laughs> the R5s would perfectly match. But I don't know if maybe he wants something a little bit smaller and easier to mount because they are full-size bookshelf speakers, those RBH mm-hmm. R5s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one that would match nicely and would be very easy to mount would be Aperion's Intimate. 4B. Uh, that's their mm-hmm. satellite speaker. It's a sealed design. It has mounts right on the back, like, you know, uh, mounting holes right on the back to attach to any type of wall mount that you would want. Uh, light, still neutral sound would match RBH very nicely. They're $200 a pair normally, but they're on sale right now for Black Friday for only $140 a pair. So that is certainly, in my opinion, reasonably priced and would work well. That is very reasonably priced. Uh, for his Atmos speakers, he'd like uh, speakers he can mount on his ceiling as he doesn't want to make any large holes for in-ceiling speakers. What you. would we recommend? And I believe you're going to recommend a little wedgy QB thing. <laughs> Not as little as they might look. I'm showing an image right. of them on YouTube and they look like, oh, those are cute little two-inch cubes that would be super easy to mount. No, those are six-inch cubes because that is a four-and-a-half-inch okay. woofer and a one-inch tweeter inside of there. All right, all right. Now, compact, very easy to mount. These are the Boston Acoustics Soundware 4.5s that you can get from Mm. Accessories for Less. Uh, These are being sold brand new at Accessories for Less for $70 each, so $140 for a pair of those two. Um, Very easy to mount, complete pivot mount on those, so aim them any Mm. way you want. Uh, But you say aim them straight down. I say aim them straight down, but if you you are so inclined, they are easy to pivot any way that you want to. But do keep Mm. in mind, they are a six-inch cube, so... They're hanging down from the ceiling some amount. Sure. Be be aware of that. They aren't teeny tiny. The other thing you could do is get more of those Aperion Intimus 4B speakers because those will absolutely work just fine and they're the same price. Nothing preventing you from doing that. That's right. There you go. Very good options. Uh, The Polk LSI 703 bookshelf speakers have been put on clearance. They were originally $1,500 a pair, but now they're down to $600 a pair. What's Mm -hmm. our opinion of them? I haven't heard them so have okay. you yes i have ah. heard uh the polk lsi speakers this was a while ago but they did leave an impression on me uh because they are not in my opinion a neutral speaker in any way they okay. definitely have a characteristic colored sound i thought they were too bass heavy um mm. but you can mitigate some of that with careful placement and with some eq that's not the end of the world uh they use a ring radiator tweeter and the ring oh. radiator tweeter that they use, it is beamy. It is very beamy. If you are oh, okay. directly on axis, it is a very vivid sound. I would be like, it's vava vivid if you're right on axis. But the moment you move even slightly off axis, uh. the high frequencies roll off very rapidly. So it not is, appropriate for surround or ceiling 
editing or anything no, like that. No, no these all. are stereo speakers for one listener who likes the particular sound that okay. they have tuned them to. Now, if they float your boat, I got no problem with that. But right, they aren't right. the type of speaker that I can recommend to everybody because they have a characteristic sound for sure. They are picky about placement. They are picky about the way that they are aimed. Um, and so they wouldn't be my personal choice. What's mm-hmm. our opinion mm-hmm. of them? It wouldn't be my personal choice. I want something where the speaker is almost a non-variable because it just tells it like it is. And that way I know if I don't like what I'm hearing, it's something else. Uh, in this case, it could be the speaker. It has a characteristic sound. No problem if you love them, but I wouldn't recommend them sight unseen at all. And surely not if you need a bunch of people watching a movie at the same time. Right. Yeah. Doesn't sound right for that. No. Uh, one more question from Sean. He's willing to consider a pair of bookshelf speakers in that $1,500 a pair uh, sort of price range. But what he wants are speakers that can play really, really loud while remaining completely distortion free, no strain or harshness, while retaining a wide, even soundstage and excellent imaging. Even his RBH R55 Ti towers start to sound a bit harsh when he tries turning them up as loud as he would like to go sometimes. All right, so he wants to kick it. Yeah. Are there is there a really good option we could suggest for what he's looking for? He wants to blow the doors off this joint. And there are two things here. I mean, those RBH R55 Ti towers, they can absorb a lot of power. They can take like 400 watts, uh, which I'm betting you probably don't have 400 watt amplifiers attached to them. So there's a chance there is more headroom to be eked out of those R55 Ti towers if you had the beefy amplifiers to power them. But... Let's be reasonable here because you've got options in that $1,500 uh, per pair price range that can do what you want without having to get crazy amplifiers, but it means you want some high efficiency speakers. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm going to point you to Power Sound Audio. They're MT110s. These are a compression tweeter in a horn. In a so horn. this starts getting them to like 95, 96 dB for one watt. Uh, and they can take about right. 200 watts continuously. That is a 10 inch woofer though. Do not be thrown by calling it a bookshelf speaker. It is a 10-inch woofer and a compression (laughs) horn-loaded tweeter. Again, when you see it, like, quickly on the screen, Mm -hmm. you go, oh, that's a nice little compact. No. (laughs) Nope. That's, like, 12 inches wide. That's, like, a foot wide. It's, like, a foot and a half inch deep. But that's the type of thing you're looking for. They go for, what is it, $13.50 a pair, I think those ones go for. And then, of course, when you want maximum efficiency and crazy high power handling because you're playing in an outdoor amphitheater or something like that. That's where JTR comes in. Uh, JTR's least expensive quote-unquote bookshelf speaker is their Noesis 228. Uh, Those are two 8-inch woofers on either side of a compression horn-loaded tweeter. That Uh, is not a bookshelf speaker. That that is a full-size speaker that needs a stand. Yeah, it's a full-size speaker that needs a stand. You're right It's not a bookshelf speaker. But it can also take 1,200 watts continuously if you want it to, and it's already 98 dB for one watt efficient. So (laughs) if you want crazy loud, (laughs) you could go to JTR. They are $1,500 a pair. Neither of these are pretty, but all the money is going into turning that a little bit of electricity into sound, and that seems like what you're looking for. So they're both shown on screen on those uh, links as uh, not having any sort of grill on the front. Is that how they come? With uh, no I grill not, whatsoever? No, no, the, the power sound audios definitely have a grill. They've got, okay. uh, they've got the grill holders. The JTRs, I don't think they come with grills. Nah. <laughs> I mean, they're Man, professional. That is, that, they're professional, like, uh, concert speakers that just happen to be sold. It's a club kind of speaker. It yeah. is. They happen yeah, yeah. to be sold for the whole market. Yeah. 
So that's a different look, <laughs> for sure. But it's the performance he's after. That's that's yeah. what you're going after. I mean, you you got the party now. You can drop that bass. Uh, here we go with Chris H. Moving on. Chris spoke with David Fabricant over at Ascend Acoustics to ask about getting a custom-made HTM 200SE that would only be four and a half inches tall. As we had suggested, Dave was willing to take on the project, but it would have ended up more than doubling the price of the speaker. Mm-hmm. So Chris decided to go with the Aperion Intimus 4 series, just like we recommended. As we mentioned last week, his single SVS SB1000 subwoofer is currently positioned below his window in between the front right speaker that is at the head of his bed and the front left speaker that's at the foot of his bed. Interesting. (laughs) So it's a 90 degree turn from where you lay on the bed. Is that what we're saying? I mean, he actually lies in the bed. He's got uh, he's visually impaired. So he Uh lies right next to his TV screen. Oh, he just turns and looks at the TV screen. He just turns and looks at the TV screen. I get what's going on now. And so his his subwoofer is basically about where his thighs would be on his bed. Okay. Hey, man. (laughs) On the floor. I've I've been on hotel beds that vibrated. Why not? That's right. (laughs) Uh, uh, Let's see. I kind of lost my place. As we mentioned last week. Okay, I said that. Let me move down. Just below the picture there. He has extremely limited placement options in his tiny bedroom, but he's noticed that the way his bass sounds seems to be pretty consistent in that it simply gets quieter the farther away he gets from the subwoofer. He had intentions to do a subwoofer crawl, but would putting it on, say, the opposite side of the bedroom simply mean it sounds quieter? It could be well different than that. Yeah, Um, yeah. yeah, it's, you know what, I want everybody to do a subwoofer crawl if you haven't done one before, because mm-hmm. it's, uh, it's eye-opening. It's, yeah. it's eye-opening and ear-opening. Um, it's fun. <laughs> you know, you, you put the subwoofer where you yeah. would normally be, yeah, and yeah. then you go around your room. And when it's a small room like this, I mean, you know, even if it's a place where the subwoofer can't actually live, just listen to the bass suite playing on repeat uh, mm-hmm. in different places mm-hmm. in your room because it's remarkable how much the sweep changes from location right. to location. So for whatever reason, where it is right now in this tiny room, that's the effect that you've noticed. I don't know if you've been playing sweeps, though, or if you've just been listening to regular content and you're right. like, I can't really tell that certain frequencies are louder and certain are quieter. You really need to be listening to a sweep because it'll sound like a roller coaster as far as volume levels go uh, in different locations around your room. So it's oh, yeah. always worth experimenting. If you haven't done a subwoofer crawl before, do it just for fun because uh, it's quite amusing. Yeah, it's really neat if you find that one spot where it sounds like something just happened to the room. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you'll put your head in one spot and it sounds like everything is coming from inside your head and from well, everywhere it's, it's at once. It's not subtle. It is yeah. not subtle. And for the love of all things holy, do not listen to the advice that's placed around a lot of places that say how to do a subwoofer call and just put on some bass heavy music. No, you have to play a sweep. Right. It must be a bass sweep so that you hear all the frequencies. <laughs> yeah. All you're going to do is find a place that sounds good for that one song. Right. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's all you're going to listen to. All right. Moving on to Raf. I guess it's Raf or Roth, uh, as in short for Raphael, possibly. I don't know. Roth. First up, uh, back during episode 666. That's not true. That was the different. I was on I know. 666. I put that in there just for I you, was, Lee. I was on 666. Uh, <laughs> we told Raf to not get the MK sound in ceiling speakers for Atmos. He followed her advice and went with a much less expensive option, and those are working great. So he says, thank you very much. I, I love <laughs> it when the cheaper option is <laughs> yeah. great. Uh, I'm were, so cheap. Those I'm were so expensive in ceilings that, yeah, unnecessary. So good. I'm happy, Raf. 
Excellento. Uh, Raf ordered an Emotiva XMC2 Pre Pro. It's their $3,000 processor that can do 9.1.6. And he says he is uh, frantically awaiting its arrival. I just picture him pacing back and forth right. in front of the door like a dog waiting for the owner to come home, just looking out the window. <laughs> be ready uh, for cur- some frustrations, Raf, but, oh, um, but I his hope current it works setup, for you. His current setup is a 5.2.4. And since the XMC2 has 16 channels, inclusive of however many independent subwoofer outputs you choose to assign, the assumption was that he'd expand to a 7.2.6 configuration. But would it be worth adding front-wide speakers? Mm-hmm. Rob's always a fan. If you can't see the video, Rob's eyebrows went bloop, bloop, like he was really excited. <laughs> when I said front-wide, he was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> he would have to purchase two more speakers, but he'd need to purchase more amplifier channels. And would he only have one subwoofer output from the XMC2? Are front-wides worth all of that? Rob, you're the front-wide fan you're the biggest yep. fan of front wides i know <laughs> yeah, what, I'm, what's I'm it worth the, to you the few people who's ever even heard of them but on this yeah. podcast uh, we're a strange bunch and a lot of us have heard of front wides oh, yeah. oh man i mean uh so when <laughs> I- i'm limited to 11 speakers at the moment in my setup and i uh got rid of surround backs so that i could have front wides if that mm-hmm. means anything mm-hmm. to you you are talking to somebody who is a fan of front wide speakers right, right, right. um and there's a few little quirks with that because at the moment, at the moment, if you're using the DTS Neural X up mixer, which is the only up mixer that can put sounds into the front wides, the Dolby Surround up mixer does not put any sounds into the front wide speakers ever. Okay. So you can't use the Dolby Surround up mixer with front wides at all. You have to use the Neural X up mixer from DTS. And the Neural X up mixer from DTS can only use 11 speakers at a time. Now, they can be a weird combination of 11 speakers, but they, it tops out at 11 speakers. It can't use 13 or 15 speakers all at the same time. Now, when DTS-X Pro finally arrives, I don't know when that'll be. DTS-S is notoriously slow at getting their updates out there, and Emotiva even slower. Um but when DTS-X Pro arrives, the expectation is you'll be able to both use more speakers for DTS-X natively and in the Neural X up mixer. But it's just to be aware of the fact that even if you install 9.1.6, you won't be able to use 9.1.6 except for actual Atmos soundtracks. And then only if they happen to put a sound into the front wide area as okay. an object or... You could optionally do it with DTS Neural X when you're up mixing, but you'd have to turn off four other speakers in your set, mm. in your 15 speaker setup to do it. That's no fun. So there's caveats here, right? Uh, now, obviously, you're a person who's willing to wait because if you ordered an Emotiva Pre Pro, it means you're willing to wait until Dirac arrives because that's one of the selling features, but it's not there yet. I don't know when it will be. Um, and you're going to wait for bug repairs to go on forever. Because they will, <laughs> yeah, it'll yeah, never yeah. be a stable processor with right, an Emotiva. Right. Um, but you're a person who's willing to wait, so maybe you're willing to wait for DTS X Pro as well to eventually come on. So, I think your best course of action right now, Raf, is this is for me of all people. I probably wouldn't do it right now. What I know, 
I, I probably <laughs> wouldn't do it right now. Uh, if you're in the course of running wires or something, by all means, wire it up for the future. Oh, put the wires there if it's time to put wires. Yeah. Um, and if you're like, I really want it for dedicated Atmos soundtracks. I mean. I love them. I love having front wides. I think mm-hmm. they enhance the listening experience. Uh, I, w- I forewent having surround backs so I could have front wides instead. I'm a fan of them. But given that most of your content is not really going to be able to use them, given that anything that you would want to upmix to make use of them would mean you have to turn off four other speakers right now, it's hard to justify. Yeah. And I would say, Keep it in mind for the future, but I probably wouldn't do it right now. Oh, feels like sacrilege to me, but wow, that was kind of neat to, to see you say. Man. No, look, at the, look at the wonderful sort of uh, like nonpartisan advice. Right. Look, he's a fan of one thing, and he can recommend something else for your particular situation. That's how you know you get the truth on this podcast. <laughs> Seriously, like if if this man is telling you you don't that's need right. <laughs> wide speakers, that's amazing. <laughs> Nothing but the truth here, people. <laughs> There's your answer. Um, okay, moving on to Wesley M. And uh, I'll probably go another question or two here and then have right. to skip on out. Uh, Wesley M. Wesley wants to buy a high-end Ultra HD Blu-ray player. A high-end Ultra HD Blu-ray player. Mm-hmm. He's considering either the Sony X1100ES or the Panasonic UB9000. The price of either is of no concern to him, and he wants the higher-end build quality. So which one? Does the Panasonic recommendation extend all the way up the line? Yes, it does. Uh, right. Yeah, the Panasonic, that's the one I'm going to tell you to get. And the mm. UB9000 does have some additional features over even the 820 uh, within the HDR optimizer for projectors that are really not yeah, like HDR, they're HDR compatible, but really not capable. It's mm-hmm. even better because it gives you um, more options to go down to the player tone mapping to even lower nit levels no. um, right, than the right. 820 allows. So there's benefit there if you have a, a low light output projector that you want to connect it to. It does have the fantastic build quality. The Sony doesn't have the HDR optimizer at all. So the Panasonic wins pretty easily, in my opinion kablam there you go that was a quick and easy one wesley there you go get the panasonic uh dan first up dan says thank you for the advice we gave him about adding bass traps to his theater we convinced him not to dismantle his entire seating riser to attempt to turn it into a bass trap instead he followed our advice about making super chunk corner traps out of triangles of roxel he also filled in the nook at the back of his room and filled in his window wells also uh, he says he is amazed at the difference. Wow, excellent. Uh, he had been feeling underwhelmed by his dual SVS SB16 Ultra subs. You know something's wrong if you're underwhelmed <laughs> yeah, exactly. by those, uh, despite their specs. Now he says he feels like the guy in the old Maxell ad being blown out of his chair by his speakers. Yeah, <laughs> That's a classic reference right there. Well, that's uh, great. I mean, that's what those subs ought to sound like in this room. Yeah. So uh, very happy to hear that that is the case. How about that? I mean, room treatments, man. The room is part of your sound system. Is it ever? I say it's 50% yeah. of the darn thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and I say audio in general is half the movie watching experience. For sure. So, man, the room. The room is everything. Um, let's see. I, I start talking and lose my place. <laughs> he also changed his projection screen from a 108-inch 16 by 9 to a 120-inch 2.35 to 1. He knows we always recommend 16 by 9 screens, but in this case, to get the width that he wanted, if he'd stuck with 16 by 9, he would have needed to also go acoustically transparent so that the screen could go in front of his speakers. And that would also move the screen forward and too close for his liking, so he's happy with his decision. Hey, great. 
Yep. Um, I, 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 you know what? There, I, I can be reasonable. This, I mean, it looks great, honestly. It looks it, wonderful. You can see the image on YouTube if you want to have a look at it. It, yeah. it looks very cinematic for your Cinemascope aspect movies. <laughs> it's going to look wonderful. Um, I, you know, when it's you got subtitles or it's sixteen by nine time, you're going to have to do a little bit of compromising at that point. But no, it you looks know what it reminds me of the look of his home theater. Looks like what was that Star Wars ride I got on at Universal in Orlando? <laughs> what was that? It looks like the whole room's going to rock back and forth right. as you fly around. Just, hey, with those SB-16 Ultras, you never know. Yeah, my, you just you need hydraulics next and a floating room and just crank that thing back and forth. It looks awesome. Uh, so his question, uh, his projector is a JVC X790, which has lens memory. Uh, he's been using that to switch back and forth between Cinemascope and 16 by 9 content. Would it be worth it for him to add an anamorphic lens? Would it make switching back and forth any better or worse than continuing to continuing to use his projector's lens memory would stretching the image and using all the projector's pixels make HDR content look better. That's a lot, a lot of questions there. My guess is I'd my, my instinct is I would not add the lens. I mean, that's, that's my recommendation to you. Um, because so- lenses are things that light have to go through mm-hmm. and they, you know, re- it, it takes a really expensive lens to not yes. alter or mess up or blur anything. Yeah. If you're going to get an anamorphic lens, it needs to be a really good one. Otherwise yeah. it uh-huh. degrades the image. Um, mm-hmm. and, and they really good ones are not cheap, but. Uh, more than that, so I mean, th- there is, there was, there used to be the justification, right? Which was that uh, you're showing a Cinemascope movie. That means on a regular 16 by 9 image, it has black bars at the top and bottom. Mm-hmm. Those are unused pixels in the display. Mm-hmm. So if we can light up all of those pixels by vertically stretching the uh, image to get rid of the black bars, but now everybody looks tall and skinny, but then you stretch them back out horizontally with an anamorphic lens in front of the lens of your projector. Now you're using all the pixels in getting that light back that used to just be black bars. But but you're stretching. And not only that, when you zoom the projector in and out to do mm-hmm. the quote-unquote poor man's version of an anamorphic setup, which is just using the lens memory, which all it's doing is zooming in and out and using the motorized lens shift and the motorized focus so that you mm-hmm. switch between having zoomed in to fill the full width or zooming it back to fill the full height but leaving gray on the left and right. When you zoom back and forth like that, the amount of light that hits your screen changes with the zoom. Mm-hmm. And the amount of light that you get extra by zooming in to fill the full width of your screen is really close to the amount of light you get by lighting up the black bars and then putting it through a lens. It's like splitting hairs, the difference in the amount of light. So that to me is not a compelling argument, this whole, oh, you get more light coming out of projector because you're not projecting black bars. I'm like, but you also zoomed the projector in and got more light out of it that way. And it's a wash. Um, So given the cost difference, given Mm -hmm. that there really isn't a light output difference now the x790 is great with an anamorphic lens because it actually has a button right on the remote that just says uh animo <laughs> they truncated <Animo>. it there <laughs> excuse me just animo. says animo there's no r um but it gives you the option to either uh stretch the image vertically which is of course what you would do with black bar content 2.35 to 1 content right. or compress the image horizontally which is what you want to do when the content is 16 by 9 but you're forcing it through an anamorphic lens right Right. so you don't want to crop off the top and bottom of 16 by 9 content but you need to squish it 
so that once it goes through the lens, it actually gets stretched back to normal, right? Uh, Unless you want a lens that physically moves. That physically gets out of the way, yeah. Which costs more again. Uh So the JVC X790 is a great projector to use with a fixed anamorphic lens because it can uh, digitally scale the image either way. It can either crop off the top and bottom and stretch it or squish it in from the sides, and it's just a button press to switch between them. So that's very easy, and you can program that into a macro on your Harmony remote. Uh, So it's not that I would consider it... um, like usability wise it's not really any better or worse either way you're going to be pressing a button either the lens memory button or the animo button either way it's going to be a button press on your remote uh the light level is about a wash the ultimate I wouldn't mess with it i mean unless you were just dedicated to nothing but 2.35 to 1 movies. i know I, mean, I wouldn't it's the, bother. It's, the, it's yeah. where where it becomes obviously better to use the lens memory is the cost because right now it costs you nothing extra. Nothing. Just <laughs> press your button. That's right. <laughs> so I would stick with that. Just press your lens mem button instead That's of an right. animo button, and it's just <laughs> it works perfectly. Uh, he's got a couple of more questions here. Back in 2012, he had a JVC X30 projector, and he purchased Calman Enthusiast and a colorimeter at the time. That combo had an auto-cal feature, what is it with not finishing words, uh, that made calibrating his projector quite easy for him. But now there are new software versions of CalMan, and the version, by the way, I'm saying CalMan, not CalMoo. Man. <laughs> Cal, Cal is in calibration. Yeah, CalMan. And the version he has can only do Rec. 709 color, and its auto-cal doesn't work with his newer JVC x790 model jvc offers their own calibration software but it requires a different model of light meter than what he owns so what should he do would it be worth buying a new meter to use jvc's own software would it be worth buying a new software version of calman and trying to calibrate manually that's above my pay grade what do you think Uh, so i mean what's nice is there's now a much less expensive version of calman called calman home $145 for that software now. They used to be, you know, several hundred dollars for the home version, and the enthusiast, I think, was seven or eight hundred dollars back when he got it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are new versions of home, which they specifically say Calman Home for LG, for Sony, for Samsung, for Panasonic, because huh? if you are connecting it to one of those brands of televisions, they have AutoCal features, but only for that brand. So that's how they're kind of reducing the price. It doesn't have AutoCal for anything except one brand of TV. But you can still do a manual calibration on any display using any version of Calman Home for $145, including being able to calibrate Rec. 2020 color and HDR, which is something he really would want to do so the software price isn't too bad now i don't know which colorimeter he has because the new versions the 145 dollars versions of calman home have a pretty limited number of colorimeters and spectral radiometers that they work with if uh you just look at the specifications of any calman home version and uh it shows you all the meters that it's compatible with if you already have one of those calorimeters uh colorimeters then getting the new version of Calman Home for $145 and doing a manual calibration, it's not a ridiculous amount of money. Um, but to really do it right, you kind of want to profile your colorimeter so that you get really accurate result- results. And to do that, you need a spectrophotometer and <laughs> cheaper ones are like seven, $800 and the really good ones are a couple thousand. Whew. That starts getting really... 
unless he, you're planning on going into that business <laughs> right and then to do an autocal you would be using jvc's own software which has a really limited number of meters that it works with uh mm-hmm. although there is overlap there between jvc's own software and calman home so maybe but honestly i think what you should do is hire a calibrator yeah. Um, now, the thing is, if you are the type of person who just wants to play with this on a constant and ongoing basis. Oh, if you just love it. Yeah. Then maybe, maybe you're going to go. So ugh, you'd have to track down an i1 display pro or not a display pro an i1 pro. You want the spectral radiometer, uh, the spectral photometer. That's the i1 pro tracking one of those down because they don't really sell them anymore <laughs> that's that's a bit of a do because that's that's like the model that's ver- works with both jvc's own software and the new version of calman be the i1 pro you'd have to track one of those down they go for like seven eight hundred bucks um if if this is about getting a really accurate projected image hire a calibrator it's actually your most cost effective way of doing the cheapest way to do it yeah. i don't think you're going to be happy by using the older version of the software that you have because you can't calibrate hdr with it Um, I think you're going to always feel like you're not even halfway there having done that. Um, I don't know what colorimeter you have that might save you money there, but you kind of need a spectro to do things right. Mm. This does sound like a situation for a professional human being. This is exactly what they're there for. They'll bring in their $20,000 colorimeter and their $20,000 spectro and really do it right. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, unless you just love it and want to play with it all the time. Get a person who does this all the time. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I hate to skip on out of here, Not Rob. Not at all. That, that seems very appropriate. We, we put a big limit. dent in it. A so, big uh, dent. We got through uh, 15. That's, that's right. pretty impressive. It New is. questions. And yeah, they, they weren't short I, questions either. So no, I will say on good. our list, we have Bob. We have Mark G, who's actually writing back with a funny update to what we said last week. Uh, Phil okay. D. I'll just tease that for later. Uh, right, right, Phil right. D. Matthew H. And <gasps> we're making history, Lee. Infinite Gary down there at the bottom of the terrible there's no way i can get through all this and get to infinite gary at question number 20 nope uh, that's but the hey way gary it goes. i'm sorry <laughs> and it looks interesting okay but anyway so, <laughs> tried that, really hard man <laughs> that's awesome i want to remind everybody here at the end of the podcast wednesday december the 11th tom and i will be interviewing uh, a fellow named phil jones from sound united so if you have questions about the sound united family of products which is a huge number of products and i will warn you right now we probably won't get to every single question that comes in but if you got questions send them on into us question at avrant.com that is the email address to send your questions to so get those in there gotta be here by i mean i don't even want to say tuesday december the 10th try to get it in before that please because i'd like to have the questions ready for phil to uh, look at beforehand but uh, there you go wanted to get that announcement out there want to thank first of all mr lee overstreet thank you for being my guest co-host this week you're very welcome you know i love this all the time and if anybody wants to (laughs) chat with me find me on twitter uh at lee overtweet I, I enjoy seeing, I, I can tell when it's somebody that listens to the podcast. Mm-hmm. You go look at people's uh, 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 profile, and there's always some mention of electronics <laughs> or AV right. or audio. Or like, ah. theater, yep. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you came from. That's right. And we want to thank our listeners of the week as well. Uh, if you want to do a one-time donation, please come to our website, avrant.com, and click on the right-hand side where it says support AV Rant. And we want to thank our Patreon supporters, 93 of them over at patreon.com slash podcast, including John H., who got us up to 93 this week. So thank you very much, all of our patrons. Want to thank Mike S. for talking us up to Acoustamac and Phil D. for talking 
talking us up to accessories for less and SVS. All right. I think that's it. We've that's thanked a lot everybody. of good thank yous. We've got our announcements out there. We've nailed 15 questions, and for once, we left Infinite Gary off the list. My oh, goodness. Oh, man, it's crazy. What a first podcast. Time. <laughs> first time for me. I feel terrible. Ah, oh, I'm missing my Infinite Gary. <laughs> well, on behalf of Tom Andre and 4AV Rant, I am Rob H. And I'm Lee Overstreet. Now go out and listen to something. <laughs>